And we are live on the 79th edition of the Red Man Group. I am your host and moderator, Donovan Sharp. We are presented by the 21 Convention, which is now just two short months away, exactly 60 days away from today. The convention will be held in Orlando from October 24th through the 27th. Anthony is celebrating his 31st birthday, I believe, this weekend. And because of that, tickets are on special for just $9.99, but only for the next 48 hours. So if you want to attend, this weekend is the best time to get your tickets at a huge discount again. That is $9.99 for the next 48 hours only. So we're going to go ahead and open up the phone lines here. Um, normally, we do this about halfway through the show, but we've got a special guest. We're going to open up the phone lines now. If you guys want to get in on the show, if you have a question, comment, whatever, 914-205-5356. If you're calling from outside the U.S., it is 001-914-205-5356. Go ahead and... We can go ahead and start filling up the phone lines. Before we get started, let's go ahead and introduce today's panel. First up is one of the most knowledgeable minds in the manosphere, Doomsday Jesus, better known as DDJ. He is the author of the book, The Feminist Lie. Make sure you subscribe to his YouTube channel, Misandry Today, and his website, misandrytoday.com. Next is a man who doesn't give a damn about red pill vernacular and gives it to you straight without any of the fancy language that is Steve the Dean Williams, who runs the website, themanmindset.com. Be sure to check out his weekly show, right here on the Red Man Group channel called The Red Pill Mindset. That is every Monday evening, I believe, at 7 Eastern, Steve? Yes. 7 o'clock Eastern? Excellent. 8 8 Eastern. 8 Eastern. That's going to be 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 Pacific. Also on the panel today is none other than CEO and founder of 21 Studios and the 21 Convention, Anthony Dream Johnson. His websites are 21studios.com, the21convention.org. Be sure to subscribe to this channel which is the Red Man Group, as well as his channel, 21 Studios, for extensive content videos. And, of course, to sign up for 21 University, I, of course, am Donovan Sharp. You guys can check me out at DonovanSharp.com and Patreon at Patreon.com slash DonovanSharp. I'm on the air live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday at noon Eastern. And finally, making his first appearance on the Red Man Group today is one of the most influential figures in political circles. He wrote the book entitled The Art of the Argument. He is also the host of the Free Domain Radio Podcast, and he is now a confirmed speaker at the 21 convention in Orlando this October. I, of course, am speaking of Stefan Molyneux. And, and Stefan, before we get started here, today is your very first appearance on Redman Group, and you're going to be speaking at the 21 down in Orlando in October. Talk to me about what went into your decision-making process in terms of why you've come aboard to become a part of Team 21. I, I think that uh, men need to talk about men's issues. Uh, every other group in the known universe seems to have an inward-facing Bruce Lee, Chamber of Mirrors, Dragon-style conversation about what's important. And men, uh, well, we're not supposed to talk to each other, you see. We're supposed to just stoically suck it up and do society's dirty work and protect the borders and clean the toilets uh, and the sewers and so on. So I like the idea, really like the idea, as I have for many years, that men can talk about issues and share wisdom. You know, when you start getting into the manosphere and you start to think about yeah, you know, divorce is really dangerous. Yeah, you know, there is a big suicide and addiction issue among right. men. Yeah, men do a lot of dirty and dangerous jobs, and, you know, 90-plus percent of workplace fatalities are men. These are important things to talk about. They're kind of held at bay by the mainstream media because we're just supposed to be worker ants or, or worker bees going out there and doing the nasty stuff. But I think we ha- need to have these conversations, and the fact that you guys facilitate these conversations uh, I think is very admirable. I want to add on to that, that I really believe the Manosphere is the first emerging movement for men where the men are organizing together for the interests of men and for fathers. So I completely agree with that and co-sign it, you know, a thousand percent. 
I mean, we it's used to have important. this stuff, right? We used to have sports teams that were all male. There used to be male clubs. There used to be, well, there used to be a little thing called fathers, quite common yeah. in society that would hand down wisdom. And, you know, I get called Internet Dad. I'm sure you guys do as well because I really want young men to gain access to the kind of knowledge that I just didn't have. I mean, I grew up the son of a single mom uh, all around me. Were, were women, you know, because when you are a son of a single mom, you tend to fall right down to the bottom rung of the economic ladder. And right. so I grew up in a little place I called the matriarchal manors, which was like these, these cheap <laughs> rent controlled apartments just full of, of women. And then you go to school and it's like women, 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 right? And, and so after being raised by women, seeing women and authority figures, women all over the schools, finally you get old enough and they say, you know who runs the world? Men. I'm like, it does not really accord with my particular experience, certainly uh, uh, early on in life. Excellent. So before we get into the meat and potatoes, let's do uh, sort of a quick roundtable. We're going to get updates from all of our guests, what you guys have been doing, what you are doing, what you plan to do here in the not-too-distant future. Steve, what do you have going on these days, man? What you up to? What have, uh, what have you been working on? What are your future plans? Uh, just basically the same thing, just going doing our live show on uh, Monday, uh, our show uh, with myself and uh, George Bruno on Friday. We uh, take phone calls and then the Man Mindset show on Tuesdays, man. That's all. I'm working on something, but I just can't discuss it right now, but it'll be coming out pretty soon. But that's Top really stuff. But yeah, yes, sir. Excellent, excellent. DDJ, uh, you've, uh, you've actually been quite busy lately, at, at least the last time I was on the show. You successfully launched MassandryToday.com. Uh, any other projects that you've been working on? Anything else in the works? Yeah, I just decided to dox myself. Um, normally, I would be on camera, but I'm actually uh, concerned about Antifa actually coming to paying me a visit, especially since I've just filed a federal lawsuit in the state of Colorado against Google and YouTube, amongst other things, for online censorship and for fraud. And the online censorship piece is based on the fact that Google and YouTube are government actors of foreign governments. And I'm also challenging Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act as unconstitutional. Um, and there's, there's about 10 different causes there. It's a, it's a pretty big lawsuit. The lawsuit itself is 67 pages. Um, with attachments, it's over 500 pages. So you can download it. If you want to check it out, actually look at um, Anthony Johnson's 21 Studios YouTube channel. We did a video about that yesterday briefly. Um, but yeah, I mean, check it out. So I've, I've been pretty busy with that. That's been going on for probably the last, I've been doing the research for about a year and a half now. And, um, the last probably, I'd say the two or three months, I've really been kind of putting my nose to the grindstone, working with my attorney and the two of us put this together to make it happen. And, and we're taking a completely different direction with the lawsuit. So that's pretty much what's going on with me. Let me ask you one quick question here before we move on to Anthony. Um, and I know you can't give away, um, uh, too much. So you filed this lawsuit, and so so and to what end? Like, what uh, what do we hope to accomplish with this? Well, let me let me kind of go real real briefly, and I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version okay. of of the of five of the ten main things. So under 1983, a lot of free speech lawsuits. Um, one of the required elements, obviously, is discrimination under civil rights, but the other element is is government actor. So in other words, they have to be a state actor of some kind. Well, what's interesting about the civil rights law is they don't actually define what a government actor is within the law. So, and I've seen some case law, uh, especially from the Supreme Court from 2017, where they've actually talked about state actors from foreign governments in the context of civil rights. So I think we've got a pretty good argument to extend civil rights of American citizens 
to foreign interference, especially since that's been something that's been going on in the mainstream media. The second issue that I bring up is that Google and YouTube, youtube.com specifically, um, I'm saying that they're an online theater. And so that gives civil rights protections under 42 USC 2000A, which is the public accommodation. And I'm claiming national origin discrimination. Now, the other thing is, is that you'll notice that a lot of lawsuits that claim political censorship, I'm actually claiming political censorship, but not as a concept by itself. I'm actually claiming it under First Amendment rights under freedom to associate, since there's well-settled cases for that. So, so this, what this does is it says, look, any, you have a freedom to associate with anybody you want. So let's say you want to associate with the red pill manosphere, or you want to associate with Republicans, or you want to associate with Democrats. If you get discriminated for that under national origin discrimination concept, which is well-settled law, that's, that could be potentially illegal discrimination, and you can hold people accountable for it. The, ish, the reason I'm bringing the constitutional challenge of 230, the, the Communications Decency Act, the main reason for that is, is that it allows you specifically in the statute to violate someone's constitutionally protected rights without recourse. That is overbroad. And it goes against the Constitution where it says that the Congress will make no laws that infringe on people's freedom of speech. Okay. And then in addition to that, I'm suing them for fraud and I'm also make and I'm also challenging their contract, their terms of service community guidelines as unconscionable. Now, as far as the fraud is concerned, I go into lots of detail there where Google conceals what it's doing from its users and where they pretend that they're a free speech engine hmm. or a free speech platform, free speech website, and they're not. And they admit it. And you see this with the good censor, which I've linked to the lawsuit. Um, they've specifically gone after my channel. They've demonetized it. They've removed videos. They put videos in restricted mode. Um, specifically, they went after my New Zealand video for the New Zealand shooters. They went after that six separate times and demonetized my, my entire channel because I said, look, I'm not subject to New Zealand's laws. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the direction I'm taking. But basically, I'm bringing in a lot of new legal causes of action that have never been used before in this type of lawsuit. And there are lots and lots of facts associated with it. And I'm doing this primarily so that we can resist a motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim. And I'm also kind of doing this in a way that actually forces YouTube and Google to actually discuss the merits themselves. Excellent. It does not sound like this lawsuit um, is obviously we live in a, an increasingly litigious society. This does not sound frivolous, at least at least not at uh, not at first impression. So certainly good luck. For, uh, good luck with that. Uh, we'll certainly all be watching that. Anthony, what you got cooking over there down in Orlando? Yeah. So obviously I'm preparing for our final event of the year and final event of the decade, the, which I really realize is the final Manosphere Convention or conference of the entire decade. That's right. It's going to mark the end of an era and the beginning of something new. I think the 2020s are going to be a very positive decade for our community as a whole. And I'm looking forward to setting a good stone for that by and a good mark by, uh, you know, rounding out this decade really well. Uh, between Stefan speaking now and, uh, you know, Ellie Hulse and all those speakers we have, it's going to be a you know, huge event. I'm super excited for it. In addition to that, and speaking of Ellie Hulse, yesterday we published his keynote presentation from the 21 Convention Patriarch Edition we held earlier this year. It was about uh, 80 minutes long, so it's a like, really super long speech, a really, really good one. And it was powerful. It was called Defending Marriage in a Degenerate Age. So it came out really good. Everyone loved it. The channels had a really positive response. Elliot, too, is pu uh, publishing it today on his channel. It's like 800,000 subscribers. So I'm excited to see it go out now to over a million guys and excited to see it blow up. And I think it's what the manosphere needs. It's what our community needs. We need these kind of TED Talks for men without any kind of feminist bullshit censorship and all that. 
beyond that, my birthday's tomorrow. There's a flash sale going on. This weekend's going to be pretty wild. We'll see what happens. But yeah, just killing out. You're rounding out the year, man. Fuck yeah. Good stuff. Socrates, it's been a while since you've been on the show. What you been up to? It, it has. It has. Uh, coming back from Warsaw has been a, an amazing trip. Uh, and then, of course, I get thrown back into my professional work, and that that's a particularly challenge after two weeks away. Uh, you have to clear space, say something, fill the gap when you get back. And then, of course, the same effect with family. And yes. you know, I just noticed daughter. your daughter is the background screensaver on your phone. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turn that. Very jealous. But, yeah, it's two weeks away from her was incredibly tough. Uh, yeah. I, I consciously had to think. When I when the plane was going down runway, I've made a huge mistake, and I'm 14 hours away from even turning around. Uh, and so, yeah, Mr. Terribly, and we've been really rebonding and having all the time with her. And then, of course, uh, prepping for October and working with my own book and uh, my Red Hat, which is a children's anti-bullying book, sure. kind of promoting and doing that, and a, just a slight amount of coaching uh, based on both. Cool. Fuck yeah. Stefan, so we were talking off the air about something. You, you have a series that you're doing, and I think you released a part of it yesterday. Tell us about what's going on there. Well, so I uh, went to California because I'm absolutely – I did a documentary in Poland last year on the 100-year march. And I went – and that really enjoyed that. It was really life-changing for me. And so I wanted to go and do the same thing about California. I visited California extensively in the 90s when I was a software entrepreneur – for business and seeing the numbers, seeing the footage, seeing the decay, I was like, what on earth is going on in the Golden State? So I took a film crew down there and we spent quite some time interviewing people, uh, doing research, giving speeches, uh, interviewing street, they're called streeters, right? You interview people on the street because I just wanted to get a sense of what people on the ground are sort of thinking about what's going on in California. So it's probably going to be about a 12-part series. We just released series, wow. uh, the, the fifth uh, of installment in the documentary series came out last night. Uh, people can get it at fdrurl.com forward slash CA. That's fdrurl.com forward slash CA. It's free. It's ad-free. I just really want people to see it. And, you know, I went up and confronted the City Hall in Los Angeles about how they're going to pay for all of this uh, nonsense. And uh, I had a great interview with the mayor of Skid Row where you can see sort of rats running in the background. And the latest one is in San Francisco where I just, <clears throat> I asked the basic funding question and triggered a whole series of liberals uh, into uh, well, some somewhat, somewhat cold-hearted uh, behavior. So I've been working on that uh, for a while. And of course, over the next little while, I've got 60 days until my speech in Orlando uh, with you guys, uh, naturally, uh, 14 hours a day, 60 days straight, very little sleep, just working on nice. that speech. Because of course, I want to weave in areas of interpretive jazz dance. Uh, I'm going to need to get together the um, multicolored flamingos. I need the confetti cannons. Obviously, I need to get a thong for Elliot Hulse to burst out of a birthday cake. There's a lot that goes into these kinds of speeches, which you'll all get to see in just 60 days. It's good to hear you from Lipset. That that was the splash. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. I'm here for the flamingos. Stefan, how long is each episode? I rarely get invited back, as you can observe. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. Uh, How long is each episode in the documentary series? Ranges from 20 to 30 minutes each. Okay, cool. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, um, Stefan, let's talk about um, your book, The Art of the Argument. You described it as something that shocks the dying art of rational debate back to life. Now, I know this sounds like this could be an obvious question, but why did you feel it was necessary to write this particular book? 
Well, I, uh, I suppose there's this little thing called online, uh, which you may have experienced from time to time. You also may have noticed when online that the quality of debate is not exactly, as they say in England, top shelf. Not quite. And so, and, and it's really sad, you know, I mean, we're not taught this, we're taught all kinds of useless stuff. Like I remember the triangle inequality relation from geometry in grade seven or eight or whatever it was, but nobody actually teaches you how to debate. Now, I had the good fortune of having a bunch of friends. Uh, we played Dungeons and Dragons together. We, we read great books together. We debated ferociously. And you learn that the sword is sharpened by sparks and fire and, and heat and pressure. A diamond is, is formed by pressure. And you can polish your own arguments and ideas, the contents of your mind, to be in alignment with reason, evidence, and reality. But it's a tough process. And... People aren't learning it on the streets like they used to because there's not a lot of negotiations in video games. Uh, I, I happen to have the good fortune to learn it. And then, of course, uh, when I was a kid and then I was a, a, a vice president of the debating society in college, I got to travel all over Canada doing debates. Uh, and then I studied a lot of Aristotle in, in graduate, uh, undergraduate school. And then I did a whole history of philosophy uh, paper in graduate school. So, And then, of course, I spent as I have 16 or so years debating on the internet. So I felt like I had a little bit of experience on how to bring best debating practices to bear so that we can have more productive conversations. So yeah, people can get the book at artoftheargument.com and I'd really, really recommend it. It's, it's a fun tour through how to debate, how to reason and, and how to, because you don't want to win. It's not like tennis. You know, right. If you win in tennis, your opponent loses. But if you, if you get beaten in a debate, you haven't lost. You've, you've gained the truth. You've gained the truth. And, and so you can't lose in a debate unless you hit the eject button with an ad hominem or you hit the eject button by, uh, by simply uh, gaslighting or, or fogging the data or sharpshooting or all of the other logical fallacies we all know and dread so well. So go in knowing that you're going to win no matter what happens. Give it your best, but definitely you don't lose by surrendering to reality. Uh, Anthony had a question for uh, for um, uh, for Stefan. So, Stefan, you run the largest philosophy show in the world. Your show has been downloaded like literally hundreds of millions of times. Can you talk to me about the relationship fundamentally between philosophy and masculinity or philosophy and becoming a man uh, throughout your life? Well, I guess I'll bounce that question back to the good panel. How many famous female philosophers do you know? Zero. One. One. Ayn Rand. And, and, and how much is she loved by feminists, right? Ayn Rand, Margaret Thatcher. I mean, the, the feminists hate those women because, well, Spot. feminism is just socialism in pear-shaped, comfortable shoes. But so as far as philosophy goes, it is almost like economics. It's almost exclusively a male domain. And there's a number of reasons for that. The most foundational being that if you look at the highest levels of IQ, which is where philosophy tends to settle, uh, in terms of IQ, the very highest is physics, uh, and then the second highest is, is philosophy, on average, right? So women tend to cluster sort of around the middle of the IQ spectrum. Um, this has been tested and verified in countless cultures over countless decades. At the very highest levels of IQ, there are virtually no women. And, and so when you're looking at the ability to work in, in deep concepts to sort of do the blank slate that Socrates, like uh, pretend you know nothing, explain it to yourself like you're three years old, pretend you've never been lied to, which is kind of the foundation of philosophy. And at that level, it's almost exclusively a male phenomenon. Now, of course, women 
enormously benefit from the application of universal principles in society, yep. subjugation of individuals under the law and universal morality and so on. But yeah, it's, uh, I hate to put it this bluntly, but uh, the history of philosophy is, it's, it's kind of a sausage fest. Yeah, I would, I, I would imagine so. Steve, what are your thoughts on the art of debate? And, and Stefan hit it right on the head. People like to hit the eject button with ad hominem attacks. They like to talk about anything but what you're debating. And this is online debate. This isn't face-to-face. So why do you feel like people tend to be much more bold and brash when they're online as opposed to even on a panel like this or calling into a show? Well, because they know if they were to, to get – they were being smart with a man to get probably popped in the mouth. So they're more like internet, they're more like internet gangsters where they – when you look, see when you're debating somebody, it's all about uh, a mental chess match. And when you lose, and that's where they go into name calling, talking about you, and trying to disrespect you. And the reason they do that online is because the debater who's winning puts those guys in a situation where they're learning more of the truth about themselves. And a lot of people can't handle that truth. So what happens is that that feminine energy comes in. Then they start acting more like women, start acting catty, right. and things like that. So that's that's my take on that, brother. Anthony, what are your thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, I think Steve put it pretty well. This guy's uh, e-thugging, as I think I heard you first. I think you were the first to ever uh, say that to me, Donovan, that these guys were e-thugging on the chat. Back in the day when you used to crack down on Harvard, bat oh, in the face. Yeah. Dude. And listen, hey, by the way, by the way, I'm I'm reformed. I think I've become much better at handling at handling trolls. So I used to be an addict, but I got off that narcotic and I'm happy to say I've been sober for about three months. <laughs> more, more specifically, I think, though, that there's been a lot of research and studies on this, not that I've read all of them. Uh, but from the little bit I have seen that when you're not face to face with somebody like me and soccer are here now, uh, part of the front of your brain doesn't work the same way as it does in person as it does remotely. And that's why people pop off all this over-aggressive stuff because they kind of know they're not going to get punched in the face. And because of that, they're not making the same connection they would make in person. So I think face-to-face conversation is always a lot more valuable. I try to do that with our speakers, for example. I've known Stefan for years, but meeting him in person, shaking his hand, having him meet George Bruno, all the guys at the event, that changed our relationship and now he's speaking. That's a very specific example, but throughout life, I think that's really important. And then the opposite of that can be very toxic and retarded, as we see online, the people just you know screaming at each other. YouTube comments are some of the worst, but it's, you know, it's throughout the entire internet, Reddit, Twitter, everywhere. Excellent. Uh, Socrates, what are your thoughts on Stefan's book, The Art of the Argument? What are your thoughts on, I get, and, and I really wanted to come to you for this because you've got a little girl, right? And she, listen, your little girl is going to be online at some point. At some point, she's maybe going to get into a debate. What do you tell your daughters? What do parents tell their daughters? Okay, here's how not to be a complete bitch. I think it goes back to not so much you tell them, but how, what you show them and, and you show them by experience, uh, particularly your example. Uh, and so I know, for example, right now she's three and a half. She's tiny. Uh, and she's manipulating and abusing her older brothers. And oh, wow. part of it is I have to physically show her not how to do that, how to how to ask without saying, go do this or you do that or I why on. And so I think there's this natural interaction when she sees me doing it and saying, hey, this is going to be a more effective way uh, and she can be exposed to that. Uh, she's going to learn, develop and become a more round human being that everybody wants to be around. 
I like her. I mean, she's not a beast. Oh, she's, she's, she's awesome, man. She's like, whenever I see her, she's like, I missed you. I'm like, oh, fuck. Uh, well, what you guys don't know, she what she tells Mary Francis and I, she is, you make party, you make party, you yeah. know, your birthday. Yeah, okay, because yeah, she yeah, knows yeah. everybody comes over for yeah, my yeah, birthday. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, she wants to engage with everybody. DDJ, you are obviously no stranger to debate. Uh, in your opinion, the the art, the, the, the lost art of the rational debate, what are your thoughts on that? And really, moreover, what do you think? Is there any end in sight? Can people debate rationally online? Can people debate rationally face-to-face? Like, what's what do you think is the solution here? Well, let's just kind of start at the beginning. And, and that is that, you know, masculine men learn and gain more from debate since their ideas are tested in real time. It's that whole idea of, you know, iron sharpens iron, steel sharpens steel. And when you talk about online debaters, most of them actually don't want to debate. What they do is they get into the conversation with the person that they're trying to target. And I've been subject to this. I've debated a, a, a white nationalist, for example, who wanted to debate me on things that he just couldn't defend. And I'm not sure that he couldn't defend them because he was a white nationalist or he couldn't defend them because he wasn't a great debater. But regardless, they don't want to debate. What they want to do is they want to drama market because with social media, there's been a huge increase in narcissism and this and this echo chamber mentality. And so being around people who respect you enough to disagree with you, I think is important for us as men to grow in general. As far as learning how to debate, I think it's a lost art when it comes to many people online, because again, most people can't debate anymore. We can't even communicate anymore. Right. All, all, all many of us do. And, and, you know, I've been accused quite legitimately of being the biggest five-year-old in the room. And if you've seen some of my videos, you know, I, I definitely can throw on my diapers and grab my banky and tantrum with the rest of them. But most people online, they don't know how to debate anymore. Even, even offline, they don't. They just ad hom and character assassinate to avoid discussing the actual issues themselves. And, and many times it degenerates into some sort of like blood sport style ad hom, you know, drama talk show fair rather than actually having any kind of real meaningful conversation or at least, you know, saying, okay, that's a valid point. You know, it's something I need to think about. It's something that I need to consider. And the problem that we have, I think in part of that is this idea that we can't have relationships or the relationships are somehow less important than the issues that we're discussing. And in some cases, that's definitely true, you know, when you're discussing things like values and ethics. Right. But many times, the relationship is more important than what's ever been discussed here. I mean, as a, as a man going his own way, I've had plenty of disagreements with people here on this panel, but we're respectful and we discuss things. And, and you know what? And there have been times I've been wrong and you guys have corrected me on that. This is how masculine men work. This is how communities are created. And, you know, this idea that, and I got to bring this back around to feminism and socialism, you know, this idea that we don't have multi-generational mentorship anymore in real life is extremely concerning. I just read an article the other day that talked about how I think it's like somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of American adults. We don't have friends anymore. We're not spending quality time with people in real time. We have to have that face to face interaction. These online discussions are great because they allow people to experience something different, but they don't they, they, they should be used in tandem with face-to-face -face interactions, with creations of social groups for people around us, with family, with friends, with coworkers, with people in our community. Because the stronger those relationships are within our community, the more healthy 
we are psychologically speaking. So debate absolutely is a crucial life skill because it helps us manage conflict. And so, yeah, it, definitely go out and pick up, pick up Stefan's book today if you haven't done it. Let me just okay. uh, put, put one little tiny thing on that. We all know the story of the, the elephants, right, in Africa where the uh, young males uh, and the males and the patriarchs within the, uh, the herd of elephants were poached. And it was basically a single mom herd of elephants. And the young men were violent and the young men were unstable and weren't pair bonding and so on. And so what did they do? Well, they brought in an elder male elephant, and the younger males immediately calmed down and, and became more productive and more civil and so on. And so there are elements within the society, and there are significantly powerful elements within our society that wish to destroy absolutely everything that we have painfully put together as a civilization over the past few thousand years. They want to full Khmer Rouge style, full Soviet style, full Cuban style. They wish to destroy the market, our freedoms, our liberties, freedom of speech, freedom of association, you name it, property rights in particular. And how do they do that? Well, they tell women to live like men, which they can't do, and they tell um, men to stay away, or they force men to stay away. And so you get a group of young men, and I think this is where Antifa comes from, and, and this is where a lot of these um, leftist uh, guerrillas come from. I mean, I think they're basically shock troops sent out by their single moms to make sure nobody interferes with the welfare state. So if you separate young men from their male mentors, you really destabilize Societies is a big problem with the migrant crisis. You've got a lot of young men coming in without any particular mentors or possibility for stability. So the internet, of course, has reinstituted the capacity to, in a sense, tame the chaotic natures of young men with elder male mentors. And this is one reason why deplatforming is occurring, is they don't want the civilization transferring wisdom of elder males to pass down through the tribe because that makes them less open to manipulation by the left. Well said. Um, let us turn. If anybody, uh, da, 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 da. oh, Anthony, did you want? Did you have anything to add, or did you already add that? Yeah, I wanted to ask a question actually, Stefan, and uh, actually switch topic a little bit. So I wanted to go back to philosophy and masculinity. Uh, when Stefan first, you know, came to the Twenty One Convention, he just got to go for you know an evening with us at a dinner and all that, and an interview. He talked about fatherhood and family. So I wanted to ask you about the role of philosophy and you know relative to or com- connected to uh, fatherhood. How has it affected you and how has uh, philosophy helped you navigate conflicts and the whole journey of being a father? I don't know how long you've been a father now, 10, 15 years, something like that? Uh, 10 years, yeah. And a stay-at-home yeah. dad, too. So, um, okay. Well, so philosophy, of course, gives you principles. And why do we need principles? Because our instincts push us against what is moral. You know, like, why do we need dietary advice? Because the stuff that we want to eat is not always the very best for us. And so our instincts to to yell, to, to hit, to bully because we're bigger than our children and we're stronger than our children. And so there is this sort of ape-like cuff them on the back of the head and, and growl and, and withhold their bag of termites or whatever the hell they're eating. So that is part of the impulse of masculinity. That's part of the impulse of primitivism. And what philosophy does is it says, okay, here are the principles that you have to live by in order to be a virtuous man. And these principles may be difficult in the short run, like eating well is less fun than eating a cheesecake sometimes. But in the long run, it's going to be great for you, right? In the same way that that good diet is or, or exercise. Sometimes it sucks, but, you know, generally it's a good thing in the long run. And so for me, philosophy is, well, it's founded upon the non-aggression principle, which is you are not allowed to initiate the use of force against Others, You are perfectly welcome, and it, it, it can be a very good thing to respond to force with self-defense. So violence is perfectly acceptable in self-defense, but you can't initiate 
force against others. Now, if you take that as a basic principle, well, it informs everything about society, but of course it informs everything about your parenting because you sit well, there. Even, um, even deeper than this, though, your philosophy would be founded on reason and reality, right? Well, sure. Yeah, abs- absolutely. But, yeah, yeah. but in order to find reason and reality, you have to refrain from using force, right? In order yeah. to have a productive conversation, you can't shoot someone, right? So, yeah. uh, so I would say that the non-aggression principle even precedes the focus on reason and reality because, you know, if, if you are going to be involved in some boxing match, right? And let's say that you know for sure you can drug the opposing boxer. Well, you're not going to train that hard because you're just going to drug him. So he's kind of punch drunk like he's just been headbutted by Muhammad Ali and the fight's pretty easy to win. But if you, don't, if you say, okay, well, I, I'm not going to drug the opposing boxer, you're going to train harder. And so if you don't have a way of disabling your opponent, uh, if you focus on, on um, the non-aggression principle, which has verbal components as well, right? So... Uh, non-aggression principle, of course, includes things like death threats and threats against someone's person. But given the power disparity between a father and his children, it also includes yelling, right? And now yelling, of course, you can yell in public and, and you won't get arrested, but that's different because in public, people can stay away from you. But in your home, when you're a father, your kids have nowhere to go. They have no choice in the matter. They didn't choose you as a father. They have no legal recourse to leave. There aren't shelters where they can go. I mean, I guess they could roll the dice with the foster care system, but that's not something most kids want to do unless it's a real extremity. So even things like yelling and name calling and so on, it's a very different relationship with your children than anyone else in the world. Like I'm not obligated to feed some hungry guy in India, but if I lock a guy in my basement, I'm obligated to feed him because he's got nowhere else to eat. And it's the same thing with peaceful and productive relations with your children. You owe them the very highest standard of care, which is no yelling, no name calling, no hitting, uh, no bullying, no, I mean, I don't punish my daughter and I never have. There's no timeouts. All we do is reason and negotiate, which she could start to do from about the age of 16 to 18 months. You can start to, to negotiate with your children. And I've never raised my voice at her. I've never obviously hit her. I've never called her any names and I've never punished her because We reason together to figure out the best solution, and that is giving your children the best gift because not only does it draw them towards rational people, but aggressive and bullying people, they just recoil from. So it gives them a wonderful shield through their whole life. Let me ask you this, um, and I'll I'll actually – because we're going to get into dating and relationships because that's really one of the core – I guess one of the core principles that the – you know, this manosphere is is founded upon – um, the dating market's a shit show, Stefan. Um, that's, <laughs> I'm so listen, glad to be over 50. Right? Oh, my God, dude. Uh, listen, I just turned 42. I'm glad that I'm not all of that. Um, in addition to feminism, what have been the biggest factors for relationships? What, what's been, what have been some of the biggest factors aside from feminism or in addition to feminism in terms of why the dating market, the sexual marketplace is such a cesspool? What, what are some of the other things that are contributing to this? Or is it only feminism? No, no, no. I don't think it's only feminism. And I think feminism is a subset of socialism or collectivism. So to me, the foundational distortionary mechanism in the dating market is the massive transfer of trillions of dollars from men to women through the welfare state, through income redistribution, and even through government hiring. Like I think the majority in most countries in the West, the majority of uh, women who, uh, the majority of employer employees to the government are, are women, right? It's a massive transfer as well. So it's sort of like if, if you remember in the old Soviet Union or some communist country, let's say you have um, a restaurant 
and the government pays you $50,000 a month whether you have any customers or not. Well, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to sit around, you're going to play cards, you're going to play Candy Crush, and then if a customer comes in, you're kind of annoyed because it's like, oh man, well, we get paid either way, but now we've got to cook something. And so if you're in the free market and you run a restaurant, a customer comes in, you're thrilled. <laughs> like, yay, I get to make payroll. I get to not, you know, dip into my savings and, and sell my kidney on the black market to, to pay my rent. And so when you have a forced transfer of wealth, civility collapses. So you don't have to be nice to your customers if the government's going to pay you anyway. And you don't have to be nice to men if you can use the government to get their money by force, which is what happens on average, right? Men are net contributors to the public purse and women are net takers from the public purse. And so when the government is forcing men to pay your bills, you don't have to be nice. Once you take away voluntarism from relationships, the quality of those relationships enormously degrades. Bingo. There you go. Steve, let me get your thoughts on this because this indirectly talks about the welfare system. And it is my assertion and the assertion of a lot of other people that the welfare system is one of the biggest reasons why, why especially low-quality women, the single mothers of the world, act like their shit doesn't stink. They act like they don't need a man. You want to know something? They really don't need a man. And just like Stefan says, when you remove the when you remove, I don't, and, and I think you said the voluntary, or I don't even know if that if, if that's uh, yeah, maybe the voluntary I'm, nature, free markets yeah, are quality, the voluntary nature of a relationship. In other words, when you remove the want for a woman to be to be with a man and sort of couple that with the need, this is what we get. What are your thoughts on the welfare system being one of the biggest factors in terms of destroying relationships along with feminism? Well, back in the day, it was the welfare, and then uh, from that point, it turned into taking CPS out of the home. I'm, I'm from a different side of the spectrum as far as uh, discipline when it comes to parents. Uh, when I got in trouble, I got my ass whipped. That was it. I mean, it was uh, going to the store with my mother, and we got out of line. It was a look, and we knew that when, all, we, all the time. when we got that look, we knew what was happening, so... I came from more of a disciplinary uh, type uh, thing where uh, I learned more about life. It, to me, it was more about life because uh, what happened was it seems like a lot of uh, what happened after the welfare thing, they started coddling these boys. They stopped teaching them about the truth about life and outside outside those doors of the house. And then the CPS came along. And then when CPS came in, they took the belt. And uh, the, the authority from the parent, they kind of swung it to the child. Then on top of that, everybody got, then they rolled in, everybody's a winner. Everybody gets a trophy. So it was a, a manner of a bunch of dominoes that, is, that has happened. But all of this happened before the internet kicked off. So what these kids now who are on the internet, they don't know why they are what they are. It's just that these are certain things that happen as a domino effect to cause and create who they call mom or dad right now, who dad, you know, like, um, like Stefan was saying, you know, dad is the, you know, dad teaches and all the other stuff. And dad has the, the rules, laws and principles. But when dad's sleeping on the couch, dad's saying, happy wife, happy life. And dad's saying, don't make mom mad. It kind of confuses these boys. So, uh, but yeah, I would say it starts off with the welfare, but it rolled into CPS everybody's a winner and it just kept uh, rolling down the hill. And now what these young men are seeing today are the causes of that, man. 
Well, and yeah. I sort of just one tiny bit. I would I would include family courts, alimony, child support as part of the welfare state. Yeah, absolutely. That that goes to what you were talking about earlier, the transference of resources from men to women. I think that's definitely part of that. Uh, real quick, um, it appears that we have a lot of, uh, got a lot of e-thugs, got a lot of chat gangsters in the chat. You guys want to ask pithy, snarky questions? Call in 914-205-5356. Listen, anybody can be a tough guy. Let's debate. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's yeah. got all these. Everybody's got. Everybody's got all these well thought out questions and this. And that. Everybody wants to be a fucking philosopher. Give us a call. If listen, if you hey, disagree, I think you just gave me the title of my next book. There you go. <laughs> philosopher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe you too can be a master debater. Call in. It's like, we. We always get. We always. I mean, this is this is true of every stream. There's always people who think they're smarter than everybody else. Not to say that you're not, but call in and prove it. That's all I'm saying. DDJ. You are up next. Um, aside from or aside from or in addition to feminism, what do you think some of the byproducts are of feminism destroying relationships? And what are some of the I, I guess some of some of the lateral, uh, not collateral, but some of the lateral damage that's happened? In other words, what are some things that are as bad as feminism that has spawned from feminism that's put relationships in the shit? Well, when you're talking about feminism, so back in the day when I first got online, I was pretty ignorant about certain things because I was only looking at what I was seeing anecdotally. And I really didn't look at the big picture as much as I have in the last probably three years or so. And so when I talk about feminism, what I'm talking about is the welfare state. And what I'm talking about is socialism. And when I mean by socialism, I also mean uh, communism at some level. I think commu you know, socialism is just a more polite term for communism. And really, when we're talking about feminism, it's led to the downfall of the, of the family because it creates multi-generational trauma and it creates multi-generational destruction. Because what happens is that you have these single mothers who are feeding off the tit of the welfare state who are raising fatherless children. Now, here's a fun fact that nobody likes to talk about. Did you know that most mass shooters, over 95%, are raised in homes that are broken homes? So they're not raised by biological mom. They're not raised by biological dad. And, you know, I talk about this in my book, The Feminist Lie. It was never about equality, hashtag show alert, in chapter three, where I compare and contrast the communities and the neighborhoods that are primarily led by single mothers compared to the communities and neighborhoods where the families are intact, where they're living Christian values. Mom and dad are in marriage and they are raising their children together. And when I say mom and dad, I mean biological mom and dad. Those groups, those families, those communities, those neighborhoods where the families remain intact, they do 100% better. And, you know, the other thing, as far as socialism is concerned, we saw exactly what the problem with socialism and feminism was with the black community in the 60s and 70s. You look at civil rights activists from that period and you see, you know, they're wearing suits, they're wearing ties, they're clean, they're they're well kept, they're maintained, they're articulate, they're educated. The, the black community was the canary in the coal mine. Socialism and feminism targeted that community first. And now you see the problems that they created in that community spread all across the country. And when we talk about the criminalization of behavior, you know, like with family courts and wealth transfer and things like that, these socialists and these feminists are running a scorched earth policy 
against masculine men, against healthy men, and against healthy families. And we saw this in the early 1980s with the Duluth model, which is probably the most widely used domestic violence intervention model in the world. Oh, yeah. And what it did is it criminalized non-criminal behavior. And so when it did that in the context of relationships, what happened was everybody's like, holy shit, this works. This is great. We've criminalized men. We we can now demonize them and call them criminals and, and toxic masculinity and patriarchy is bad. Let's redefine it. And then what happened was, was that the welfare state followed. So now you get child protective services going into healthy homes and kidnapping children out of those homes and destroying those families. Because everybody knows that when your children are involved, if you are stuck in family court, the longer that you're in that court, the more trauma you're going to have psychologically and emotionally. And that trauma, it rears its ugly head in a variety of ways. And so what you've seen is, especially since the early 1960s, is that while there is no gender war, there is a war against men and healthy masculinity that has destroyed many generations of young men. And it reminds me of what Yuri Bezmenov said in the middle eighties when you know he said, look, social justice is the tool that they will use to destroy the United States when he was talking about communist Russia. And he says, you know, they're they're gonna go into the schools and they're gonna they're gonna indoctrinate these children to turn away from healthy capitalistic society, and they're gonna to try to turn them towards socialism. And we've seen that since he's died. We've seen that with the indoctrination of the schools and the colleges and everything else. So absolutely, this whole situation is cancer, but the way we fight it is through free speech. The way we fight it is by promoting family. The way we provide it is, is by promoting healthy relationships. And of course, that brings us all the way back to learning how to properly debate the issues instead of character attacks and losing your mind. So those are my thoughts. Well said. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go to the phone lines. We've got quite a few people waiting. Area code 512-651-503 in that order. So uh, guys, hold tight. We're going to get to you right now. But for right now, we're going to go to area code 512. You are on live with the Red Man Group. Go ahead. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Is the Red Pill community already prophetizing to the converted isn't it just like kind of spinning your wheels until the welfare state's done? And could you guys give some quick opinions on balkanization? That's a good question, Stefan. You want to take your take a first crack at that? Yeah, it's an it's an annoying question, frankly. <laughs> Which is um, so I mean, no, because I, I get this all the time. So people say to me, "Hey, aren't you just preaching to the choir?" It's like you know, there's a share button right there. Under the video, you can go out there and instead of sitting there like your ass has been nailed to a pew, you can sit out there and proselytize yourself. You can share videos. You can create your own environment. You can write your own blog. You can live stream. It's right there on your cell phone. So it really bothers me. You guys are just preaching to the choir. It's like, if you think that's a problem, it's actually just two clicks of the mouse to solve it. So stop nagging us and go and share the information yourself. So that's number one. As far as number two goes, so, uh, a fragmentation of balkanization, yeah, you know, people say, well, maybe America should split up and, and so on. And yeah, that's, I don't think that's going to work. First of all, I mean, the communities are embedded in each other, right? And, and separating, you know, it's one, it's one thing to pour the food coloring into a cup of water. You know, it's quite another thing to take it out, which is virtually impossible. And secondly, of course, there are productive people in America and there are unproductive people. And some people work for a living and some people vote for a living. 
and it's a lot easier to vote for a living. And so all that's going to happen is the unproductive, let's say you could find some way to get all the unproductive people in, in Arkansas or something. It's like, okay, well, they'll run out of money and then they'll just go everywhere else. I mean, they're not going to sit there and starve to death. So uh, I think that we do need to, uh, you know, whether it's possible to stop it with words, I don't know. I mean, I, I have my doubts, but the important thing is that when the crisis comes, when the money begins to run out, that we understand it's not freedom that's failed. It's force that's failed. Excellent. Excellent. Well said. All right, let's go to area code 651. Area code 651, you are on with the Red Man Group. Go ahead. Yes. Hi. Um, I'm Mick Rational, and uh, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, not to start off with patience or anything, but I just feel like you guys have a lot of good things to say, and I've followed you up to this point where, you know, all, a lot of the stuff that you guys are saying on the podium is, is gold. But I followed you up to this point. I've only been listening to you guys for like less than a month. But when you guys start shitting on MGTOW, that's where I've got a problem with you guys. Okay. okay? Um, the thing is, is that the thing is that my what my standpoint is, is you can't. You guys talk about. You know, you have to understand women, you have to navigate women and stuff like that. But how do you, you can't, you can't rationalize with an animal. And I've, I've realized that, you know, basically ascending. Wait, wait, you, you're concerned about people crapping on MGTOW and you're crapping on all women? Hey, 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 hey. Oh, fuck you, you guys are generalizing unjustly, but all women are animals. Yeah, okay. Well, okay. Let, yeah, let's let's let, let me let me just say one thing real quick. Yeah, this was that that was uh, first and foremost. Anybody who who identifies as MGTOW, and I say this as a as a, a man going his own way, content creator. Okay, anybody who identifies is is a man going their own way is not tribalistic or shouldn't be tribalistic in that sense. Anybody who is offended by somebody saying something negative about the label because their feelings are hurt, you know, that's, that's feminine thinking. Yes. So, so that's, that's not even You're not really going thinking. your own way. If you've turned into a woman, is that, is that your right? Opinion? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that apparently is the craze, you know, go get your, go get your treatments and, and, and call it good. All I'm saying is just like, that's, you know, and then they say, they're like, oh, well, you know, you're, you're, you're kicking and shitting on MGTOW. Well, the reality is, guess what? I'm a man going my own way. And I'll tell you what, I co-sign on everything that happens on Red Man Group and everything that happens on, on 21 Convention. Because the thing is, I'm going my own way. They are going their own way. This is about agency. It's about responsibility. It's about owning what you say and what you do. So anybody who, who has a problem because somebody doesn't fit into a particular tribe, especially a tribe that, that prides itself in individualism, may not actually be part or may not be living a lifestyle where they are actually going their own way. So that's, you know, I mean, it just sounds like, it just sounds like effeminate conduct to me. Let me just, um, just so I, I give, sorry to interrupt. I gave a pretty good speech. I thought we'd already started. Let me just really, really recap it quickly. So my, my daughter loves this game called Exploding Kittens. And I don't know if I'm just too old wow. or something like that, but I, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll play this card. Like, I don't really get it. And so, and I haven't really put the effort in to try and understand it. Monopoly, I'm down with, you know, uh, cheat, I'm down with. But, you know, so I don't really enjoy playing a game where I don't really understand the rules. And, and my concern with the MGTOW phenomenon is that 
you know, if if someone could tell MGTOWs how to get a great relationship, how to be in love, how to pair bond, how to securely have children and a family and be a dad and not fear divorce and not fear, you know, accusations of, of every conceivable kind. If that were possible, surely that would be attractive, right? Now, so MGTOWs, I think, say, well, it's impossible, but it's not impossible because there are lots of people out there who have good relationships. And the way that you get good relationships is you define your values, you get self-knowledge. I took years of therapy. You may not need that. I mean, I had a really tough childhood, so I maybe needed more uh, therapy than, than most. But if someone can tell you how to get a good relationship, wouldn't you want that? And the way to get a good relationship is figure out rational values and then spend your dating life asking women about those values and being really attentive to what they do, how they treat people, how they treat the waiter, what their friends are like, what their history is like, whether they have anything to show for their lives, whether they're in debt, whether they took useless degrees. Like you, you can figure out women just as you can figure out men pretty quickly. And just this endless statistic of 50% of marriages end in divorce, it's like, yeah. And you know, 99.9% of people who are blindfolded when they shoot an arrow never hit the target. But if you take the blindfold off, you can actually aim and get what I think is the greatest prize in the world, which is a pair-bonded, uh, loving relationship that lasts your life. And so that's my particular concern that they kind of throw in the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, lots of relationships fail, but there's reasons why, and you can remediate those reasons, and you can lower your chance of divorce to virtually zero if you really x-ray people for their values. Steve. This is where I'm all, hello. I, I, y'all know how I feel about this. <laughs> You already know how I feel about Go I don't. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, you're going to learn today. He's about to tell you. He's about to tell this you. Is, this is the feminine asexual behavior I'm always talking about with you cakes. You can always, you, 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 you coddle by mommy. You have no self-discipline. You have no boundaries. You're being taught to be emotional. You're being taught to make excuses. And then you want to come on a man's show and act like a woman in front of men and don't think we're going to bite back at your ass. This is the problem with, again, if you want to be Metal, be Metal. There was no Metal when I was growing up, so I don't believe in that. I don't. That's just my, my opinion, my thought. I don't know where you're going, but all I've been seeing from the majority of them, only one, maybe not DDJ, but from his little tribe, but from what I've seen, the majority of you guys, all y'all doing is having male cuddle parties, sitting around complaining about things when you are not being honest with yourself. You want to sit there and blame single mothers for everything. You want to blame the government. You want to blame um, uh, family dynamics, and you want to blame the family court. But you mother, excuse me, you mo- you people, excuse me. <laughs> oh, he was so close, right on the edge. He was there. He was there. <laughs> it's all right. I auto-completed that for you. I'll say you cupcakes or you grass-eating lions. Choose not to look in the mirror and be honest with yourself. There is bad people out there, bad women out there, as well as bad men. They're both out there. But for you to sit here and come on a man's show and try to say, well, I was following you guys until y'all said something that made my panties twist in the wind, that's the problem. You guys choose not. I say all metals. I don't know you guys. Y'all do y'all thing. The one thing I'm not going to sit here and let y'all do is come in with that feminine emotion whining, bitching, moaning, and complaining, and don't think we're going to nip you in the blood, the butt, the butt, excuse me. This is why you lose. You keep going your own way. You want to know why? Because you go your own way, and my guy's going to clean up and smash, yeah, I mean, all those women who want this thing called a man, who want someone that is assertive and dominant. 
someone that's not taking his ball and going home, his spine and his balls, put that shit in the goddamn ground, go your own goddamn way, and let the man smash what you can't get. Uh, yeah, so I got a comment in the chat here from Hello. He says, oh, so you cucks ban people with different opinions. On the contrary, we ban e-thugs. We ban virtue signalers. We ban people who are trying to attention whore. Again, guys, we and we've got three people in the queue. Area code 503, 201, and 615. You guys are all next. Be patient. We're going to get to you guys in just a second. Um, we don't deal. I don't know. Listen, maybe Anthony runs this differently when he owes this, but when I'm hosting, I don't like I'm not here for the e-thugging in the chat. If no, you no, really listen, we're, we're here to debate, right? I mean, if, if you want to if you want to yeah. play tennis with me and you show up with a football, we can't play. We can't play, <laughs> right? I'm not banning you. It's just you you're not here to play the game. No, I'm yeah, and, and, and the other thing is too is that you should you should bring your own dick and not a dildo. There you go. There you go. I got something uh, briefly to add to this. So when that caller, when that guy called in, I think a lot of what he's doing is a straw man argument. So we do talk about MGTOW from time to time on the show, on you know, the Friday show, the Monday show, the main show on Saturday and all that. But it's pretty minor. And so I think he's actually exaggerating this thing and the, the, the infrequent criticisms we have of that community and that stuff. It's not even that big of a deal. So it's interesting that he focused in on that and tried to amplify it to this big issue. And it's not. It's one part of a pie that's got 100 pieces to it. And so I think he's just kind of bullshitting on that. He's overfocused on it. And he's been a fan for, he said, less than a month. Well, so and here's the thing, too. I, I didn't hang up on him. Yeah. I, I simply yeah. called out that he was talking about negative generalizations and the negatively generalizing, right? So he that's kind of hypocritical. But I mean, he hung up. So no, I, no. I, I was hoping we have a nice debate here. But, you know, the guy, the guy, the moment you push back, he just hangs up. And of course, that's why he can't have a relationship. I, hold on, guys. I hung up on him, and the reason why I hung up on him is because he said, oh, you can't negotiate with an animal. Dude, like, you oh, can't. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, you can't call women animals. This this, this, is exa- this is exactly why a lot of the red pill community shits on MGTOWs. You guys are angry people. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being angry. It's what you do with that anger afterwards that really kind of defines you as a man. Every man goes through the anger phase when he finds the red pill. But the men that don't make it out of the anger phase, these are the men that we call MGTOWs. Now, there are there are, there are 100 different definitions of MGTOWs and all this other kind of stuff. I used to be hard on MGTOWs, but again, the more I learn, the more I understand, okay, I understand why guys are checking out of the dating market. Not something that I would endorse. I'm not saying that all MGTOWs check out of the dating market, but the fact of the matter is, is if you want to call us up and say, oh, you guys shit on us, this, that, and the other, and then give you, and then give us a reason as to why we shit on you, well, there's your answer. You cannot call women animals. And anybody, and, and here's another word that's not allowed, is generalization, right? People like to say, well, people like to say, well, you guys are just generalizing. Listen, that is, that's almost a borderline ad hominem attack because we teach men to be ready for the 99.9% of women that you are going to come in contact with, not the 0.01% of snowflakes. I wanted to add, too, that uh, I find, and maybe Stefan has, too, when someone's engaging in logical fallacies, like a straw man argument, like this super negative generalization, like all men are fucking animals, mm-hmm. uh, these things tend to become morbid, uh, kind of like personality disorders. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that this guy's doing all this great bullshit, and he's in and out for a few weeks following the channel. So comes to mind. I also think there's something to be said about it's not so much we're criticizing or attacking, but we're representing something, a different course of life. And if you're going in the opposite direction and yeah. you're realizing you've gotten on the wrong damn train, nobody wants to admit that to stop, get off and go back. Self-honesty is a lot more difficult than people give you credit for. I think it's, it's incredibly difficult. 
Yeah. Um, got a comment in the chat here. Says uh, yes, but you can call them bitches. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we can and we will. There's a big difference between referring to a woman as a bitch, as it refers to a woman with a nasty attitude, and an animal. Again, those are the disingenuous comments that we're talking about, right? If you listen, if you feel so strongly, give us a call. This is why we're on a sort of a, a, a timeout and banning bitch. Let's go to the phone lines. Area code five zero three. Thanks for holding patiently. You're on live with the Red Man Group, and you go ahead. Hey guys, uh, I'm really enjoying this uh, show today. Stefan, first I just want to say thank you so much for your videos. You've uh, really helped me out quite a bit to uh, give me the confidence in my uh, values and my beliefs and to be able to articulate that. And uh, I just want to say thanks for that. Thank you. Um, the uh, one thing, whenever you guys were talking about divorce, is uh, I've been separated from my wife for seven years now. And all of our friends, families, like, why don't you guys get divorced? And the biggest reason why is even though we can't be married as far as like a traditional couple with our kids, uh, we just don't get along uh, that way. Two different worldviews. The biggest reason why we don't go through the divorce process is because we don't want the courts in our lives. And it's been really challenging to get that point across to like the schools, um, to other people, because they just assume that there's always some kind of like court order, some kind of parenting plan. And we're like, no, 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 we're still married. We each have equal rights with our kids and how we raise them. Uh, it's just that they get so, they just get so frustrated with, uh, you know, assuming that I'm the non custodial parent or anything like that. And, I'm just saying, like, there is a different way to go through it. Okay, so just answer me something, if you don't mind, just out of my curiosity, because if you can be reasonable and rational enough with your wife that you can have this amicable shared custody without involving the courts, um, I guess I guess the, the, the first question that pops into my mind is then why did you separate? Right. Uh, just we, two different, two different, it, you know, is a lot just fighting all the time. But you're not fighting now, right? I mean, over, over something that could be even more volatile. Right. No, it's no, Stefan. I, I was, I, I did not want to end the marriage, but it, it, can't, I got to. There was a lot of abuse. Oh, I'm sorry to hear a that. Lot of abuse coming from her. A lot of abuse of like, uh oh, uh, of like, you know, saying. Uh, you don't do anything for us. Like whenever I go to work all day. Okay, time out. Caller, 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 caller. Just, 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 just give me a second here, partner. Here's yeah, what you sure. need to understand, right? And, and 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 again, listen, man. I'm not not trying to I'm not trying to not trying to be mean here, but I'm going to give you a little bit of tough love, right? You are a man. Yeah, go, you, go for you're, it. You're a man. You're a male. You're born with a Y chromosome. Okay. Women can't do to you what you don't allow them to do. That's all. If your woman says, "Well, you don't do enough when you come home when you when you're home from work," well, then you better do more. And that might sound very cavemanny, and that might sound very uh, sort of tongue in cheek. But you can't let your woman get away with just making those kinds of statements, right? You can't let your woman verbally abuse you. Now, it's easy for me to say because I'm not in the relationship, right? And I can understand right, that a lot right. of guys when they take the, when, when they hear us giving advice, it's very easy for us to sit here up on this panel. And we're completely removed emotionally from your relationship. So any advice that we give, yeah, you know, I mean, I understand why it would be a little bit difficult 
to to sort of follow because we're not as emotionally invested in you as you are. That being said, just because it's easier said than done doesn't mean that it that it doesn't need to be done. Right. So tell me the very first time, if you can remember that the first time that your wife complained or nagged about something and what you did about it. Area code 503, well, are you there? It, yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Uh, you know, it, 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 you know, it was so, it's so many years ago. I, can't, I, mean, I, I can just tell you, like, the, the, what I did about it was basically, you know, change the parameters of, like, saying, like, okay, we're not going to be married anymore. It got to a point where it was just, like, every day I'd come home from work and uh, that she would still be on the couch reading uh, a twilight book that she's read five times I'd come home and yeah, my kid dude. would have a, yeah. a, you know, a poop in the diaper. Color, if I can interrupt, uh, independent, independent from the other variables and factors that Donovan and Stefan are talking to you about, I think you actually deserve some credit for some creative problem solving that you obviously made some choices with this relationship and you, but you decided you wanted to keep the government out of it, which I do think is a fundamental and important problem that you have so far avoided. I would hope you talk to an attorney at some point about, what the potential consequences and stuff like this are living this kind of life. But I think it's actually pretty good problem solving and inviting the government into your life through a divorce court is probably pretty dangerous. I did something similar in avoiding that in my life in the first place, having private marriage in a ceremony rather than signing a you know, marriage certificate and license and all that shit. But I think it's actually good that you've done that. And it's probably one of the best things you can do uh, without knowing more about, you know, what's going on in the past and then what you're doing now with the, the, leftover of the relationship so to speak in particular if you don't care about getting married again then that's probably a pretty good idea well i'll tell you something at the very beginning of relationships that is important sorry to interrupt but um this is a story from a a friend of a friend and it's many years ago but it, it always stuck with me so a guy was getting married we call him bob so bob was getting married to a woman uh and they had tussles back and forth about the name change right who was going to change whose name or whatever, what? right? No, 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 listen, just, just, just hear me out, hear me out. So they did eventually agree that she was going to take his name, right? And then they got married. And I remember him telling me that they're driving to her parents' place the day after they got married, and she says, actually, I don't think I want to take your name. Oh, my God. Right now, that's a test, right? That, that's a test. So, so what did he do? He said... Yes, you are going to take my name because that's what we agreed before we got married and you can't change the deal now. That's like me saying, oh, I'm going to be monogamous to you. And then the day after we get married saying, no, I'm going to have an open relationship. You can't change the deal that you make before you get married. That is not going to happen in this marriage. And they had the debate, so to speak, right? And then she ended up taking his name. And so you simply have to not accept destructive or dysfunctional behavior from anyone in your life, and in particular, of course, from your marital partner, and this goes male to female and female to male as well. You simply have to be assertive. And again, I'm not, I don't, can't judge a marriage. We've heard almost nothing about it. But I'm just saying in general, uh, it, it's the first time. It's the first impression that counts. You know, when I got a new job as a software executive and I had an employee uh, say some pretty rude things to me in a meeting, I just fired him. You know, like, I mean, and I know that's different with a marriage, right? Once you're in and so on. But, you, you know, you have to hold people to the deals. You talk about the values before you get married and you damn well hold men and women to those values after you get married. And, you know, I, I can't put it any more plainly than that. It's, it's, it's in the very, very first time that it comes up that you really have to be strong. 
DDJ? You know, it's interesting because you see these tests happen all the time. Yeah. Now, the, what, what was interesting about this caller is, is that he reminds me of my first marriage. Now, the reason I bring the first marriage up is because that was my mistake. I chose poorly. I should have never, never married this woman. And I didn't use – I had a gynocentric blind spot. And so – I'm, I chose badly, and 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 the reality is though is that even once you choose, once you once you get a meeting of the minds, and you find the woman that you want to you know be there with, those that level of consequences it has to be important, and it doesn't necessarily have to gen degenerate into an argument, and it doesn't necessarily have to degenerate into an ultimatum. There are many situations where, you know, marriages are recoverable. And they go through a lot of stuff. The 50-year marriages go through almost everything that a 10-year failed marriage goes through. So the only difference was, was that they figured out how to get through it and move on to the next thing. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, you really have to ask yourself, you know, what are your, what are your negotiating skills? You know, what, are, what is your level of investment? What is her level of investment? And, and go from there. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, you know, also, I, I should also say one other thing. Um, when you have children the deal changes a little bit. It evolves. And so being together for the children, I, I commend the caller on that because I think it's important that both parents are involved in their children's lives. But when the children are involved, you make decisions and sacrifices as a father for those children within reason, of course. I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not trying to be a, a disposable utility or anything like that per se, but you definitely want to make sure that you're making the best decisions possible on behalf of the children. And as a mother, mothers should be doing the same thing. There's a whole attitude today of this idea of, you know, if it's if it doesn't feel good for the mother, they should just destroy it all. <laughs> and, you know, because because her feelings are the most important things in the world. And, and that's that's a huge fallacy. And, and a lot of women who do that, they go and they destroy their marriage. They destroy their relationships. They destroy their families. And I'm not saying that it's all her fault. It, 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 I want to make sure that's abundantly clear. But then what happens is, is you see them 10 or 15 years later, we see articles all across the internet written by women that are like, I left the only man who ever loved me. Yep. Destroy the only relationship. There was nothing wrong with him. I was just insufferable. And so when you understand that and when you have a, 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 a red pill masculine knowledge of women and of relationships and how to interact, you can kind of see through those things and it makes them easier to work through because, you know, marriage is really good for a man when a woman is young, but it is absolutely imperative for an older woman because it benefits that older woman once she can no longer get on the dating scene in the same way she could when she was younger. So having those relationships and being able to work through those things is absolutely crucial and important. But like Stefan said earlier in this stream, you have to go out of your way and you have to ask the questions and you got to watch how she treats people and you got to watch how they do things or else you're going to choose the wrong woman. In my case, my first marriage, I chose a woman I was only with for four or five months. It was a very short engagement, and I take complete responsibility for that. So there's that. Well, no, but also you need a society of people around you who are going to help you avoid being dicknapped, right? So dicknapped is when you're basically right. thinking with your dick and, and you can't reason things through. So we've got to not be in isolation. This is a lot of what I do with the callers into to my show is I'll give them the feedback as I see it, but you need people around you who are going to slap you upside the head and say, you know, stop following your penis and start thinking with your long-term God-given reason, right? So uh, that, that is really, we, we are so isolated when it comes to making these decisions, and it's very hard to make good decisions when you're in heat 
uh, and you're in isolation at the same time. So uh, that's something that you've got to have good people around you. Relationships fail tribally. They don't fail individually. It's not just one man and one woman. They fail tribally. Uh, because it's a whole group of people. Like, why do you get married? Because you're publicly saying, we're going to try and have kids usually. We're going to really, really work to stay together. And then it's your tribe's job. It's your family's job. It's your friend's job to damn well keep you together. Which means if, if the woman's saying, oh, I'm dissatisfied and this and that, you don't sit there and fan those flames. You don't sit there and say, oh, yeah, well, another thing that he did that was terrible and you know, he's a monster. You, 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 you cool those flames. You say, yeah, you know, it's frustrating, but you're together. He's a great guy. You can work things out. You sit down. It's a collective endeavor to keep a pair bonding relationship. We're tribal. We didn't just go off into the woods and live isolated lives, just two people staring at each other in a tent all, all for 40 years. So when you're in a community, work to keep the pair bonded relationships together. Cool the flames, encourage the positivity. And for heaven's sakes, for heaven's sakes, <laughs> this is going to sound all kinds of Taliban, but you have to really be careful about the media that you consume. Because the media that's out there always shows this glorious aftermath to a woman breaking up. And then it hides from her the disaster of her 40s and 50s. Think of the Sex and the City woman, right? She, she created this show that was basically a, a gay life in San Francisco masquerading as four women. And now she's miserable. She's divorced. She's not got no kids. She's depressed. She's anxious. A quarter of women in middle age are on antidepressants. Yet, of course, what they say is, oh, you leave your husband, there's going to be this wonderful dating pool and these great guys out there and it's not going to be complicated and it's not going to be messy. That is like breadcrumbs leaving people out of pair bonding relationships and you've got to really push back against that stuff. And if you do consume that media, really talk about how false it is because, man, there is a lot of forces out there trying to split everyone up. Steve, uh, final thoughts. Final thoughts. I appreciate the guy that called in. and uh, and But it's not just him. It's the majority of you guys out there. All I keep hearing over and over again is she yelled at me. She screamed at me. She did this to me and she did that. When are you guys going to start taking accountability for allowing these women to come into your castles and rummage all through it? A woman is not going to do anything that you don't allow her to do. But the question that I keep at want to know from you guys, what are these women doing? Why are you giving your sperm and your last name away like Halloween candy to a bunch of women who don't even deserve a dick? Why are you doing that? Why are you guys not holding yourselves to a high standard to make these women work and praise and run behind you. See this, like, 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 um, like, like, what was being said. What Stefan was saying is is a thousand percent correct. But the problem is, y'all are so plugged into the media, you believe you have no worth because the media is taking it away from you. Mommy's taking it away from you, and most of your loser friends are taking it away from you. And yet, you want to meet a woman and you expect her to respect you. You don't even respect yourself. You guys got to stop pointing the finger at these women. And again, this is not me protecting women because I'm not here to protect women. I'm here to protect you guys. You got to start taking accountability for every move you make as a man. And if she dangles her name hyphenated with yours, gone. That's it. No if, ands, or buts. I don't want to sit here and, and, and explain to you why you need my name. Right. And as far as last thing I want to say, as far as sperm, stop rewarding these women with the best thing you have to offer 
when she's not worthy of it, man. Make sure everybody is worthy, gentlemen, because you're not going to get you're going to fall into this trap when you guys don't believe in you. And I, and I, I don't want to be hard on that guy, but it just kills me when you say she was doing this. And I don't remember the first time. Well, guess what? The first time is the is the warning. The second time you're gone. That's it. If your ass is on the couch and you got to get up and cook clean and do your wifely duties and you can't do that. See ya. Yeah. You knew that as a girlfriend, you knew that when you was living with her and you knew that when you was engaged with her, but you bypassed her bad behaviors because you were like, I'd rather be married to somebody than not have anybody at all. But again, I I just want to get off my box, but I'm just saying you guys got to take more accountability, gentlemen. I believe we all got an amen out of that one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Erico 201, you're on now. 615 is next. 200 is after that. And 713, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for holding. Uh, Erico 201, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Yes. Okay, uh, I'm Donnie. Uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Uh, two or three things I want to address. Uh, the first one is the biggest. Uh, I'm 25 and... I've never had a girlfriend, and I'm still a virgin. In the last six years, I've probably asked out over, I don't know, 600 girls, maybe 2,000 online. Okay, what's your question? I got a couple of coffee dates. I'm like six foot four, so it's not my height, but why have I had so much failure? Dude, that's a question... That is a question that encompasses so many answers, and we don't have enough information just based on the fact that you're 25, you're 6'4", and you've asked out 600 girls. What's the next thing? Okay. okay uh, well, this I really wanted to ask DDJ about. Uh, DDJ, are you there? He's here. Uh, yes, I'm here. Go on. A couple of months ago, he, a couple of months ago, you had a falling out with TSM, and a lot of people were wondering what was it really about, like something with this dude named. Yeah, that's not our topic, dude. Get the fuck yeah, out of here. Not our topic. By yeah. the way, I I I, w- I will say this, guys. If you're interested in dating women, focus on yourself. Focus on your self improvement. There focus you go. On, you know, I mean, if if you're if you're sitting here and you're talking about this idea about how, you know, you're doing what you need to be doing and you can't get a date or whatever, or you, you know, you're, you're asking these women out because you're interested in romantic involvement, focus on yourself. I mean, we talked about this a couple episodes ago and Steve, the Dean really hit the nail on the head. You know, the idea of the game is, is to be the best man you can be, to be the most masculine man you can be. And, and the women, they weren't the focus. They were just a fringe benefit of being successful. And, and that's absolutely true. When you, when you're doing what you need to be doing, what ends up happening is, is that these women will make themselves known. You don't have to hunt for them. Well, I'll also say, I, I know why that guy's not, not getting any to two reasons. Number one, what the hell are you doing asking 600 women out? Do you have no idea what you want? <laughs> it has vagina. Yeah. I will ask it out. It's like, that, that's yeah. no yeah. way to make a woman feel special. If she's just one of 600 women in a row, and women do have a very good spider sense for this. And the second is, even in his vocal presentation, you know, 
well, a couple of months ago, you had a falling out with TFM, oh, and it's just kind of drony, and it's kind of negative, and it's kind of low energy. You know, women are drawn to to energy and positivity and confidence because they have to bond with a guy who's going to go out and win against other guys to bring the resources home or win against other women if he's in that kind of industry. So know what you want and and go for it uh, in, in a positive way. But if it's like, it's kind of like the, I guess you don't want to go out to the movies with me on Saturday, do you? You know, and it's just one of 600 women. Of course, you're going to get a no. Yeah. Listen, that wasn't his question, Stefan. He used that question to get our attention and then ask the real question about TFM. Because any guy who's 6'4 and 25 years old who's asked out 600 women is not a virgin. That's just all there is to it. Area code 615, you are on live with the Red Man Group. Go ahead. Hi. Hey, guys. Um, I wanted to thank Stefan for the lipstick Twitter wars <laughs> and um, for sharing facts. Thank you. Fertility after 30. I think that, you know, a lot of the girls aren't taking it very well, but I th- I'm hoping that it sinks in at some point for them before it's too late. The job um, of a philosopher is hate me now, love me later. Yes, exactly. It will sink in. I'm hoping for them. I turned 36 last, last month. And I'm hoping Caller, what's your question? <laughs> that you have advice. My question is, I'm going on a date later tonight, so I still have some Are you serious sexual capital or whatever you want to call it. And is there any bright side for women dating at my age? Do you have any advice aside from... Well, what, know, do you, nine- what do you want out of the date? What would be your ideal date? Uh, say that again? What do you want out of the date? What would be your ideal date tonight? I mean, tonight I'm hoping that I can have a good connection. I mean, I'm really hoping to take his last name and not hyphenate mine. <laughs> so you want to get married? You want to have kids? You want tonight? Yes. What do you want tonight? Sweetheart? No, no, that's fine. The look, look. The first date is an is an audition. The first date is a job interview for what hopefully will be a lifelong career, right? So, in a job interview, you talk about important things. You don't. I mean, I've interviewed probably a thousand people. In, in my career, and I've hired probably 150. And so you talk about all the relevant stuff. I mean, there may be 30 seconds or a minute of chit-chat, but then you get down to the nitty-gritty of, you know, here's your resume. And, and you know, at the age of 36, if you want to get married and you want to have kids, you got to be decisive, and you got to ask the tough questions, mm-hmm. and you got to really parse whether the guy is going to give you the answers you want just so we can get in your pants, or whether he is someone who actually wants maybe to get married and, and settle down. And it's got to be quick, right? So, you know, don't mess around with the date. The date is not fun. The date is not, I mean, it's supposed to be enjoyable, of course, but the date is a job interview for pair bonding. I mean, if that's what you want, right? If it's something else, it's something else, be upfront about that. But you go out with the guy tonight, you find, you find, you know, a little bit of chit chat is fine. And it's like, okay, well, what do you want out of life? What do you want out of this date? Do you want kids? Do you want to get married? Is that on your table? What are you looking for? Have important conversations. You wouldn't believe the number of people who call into my show who have spent five years with someone and I ask them about their values, they have no clue. It's like, what have you been talking about all this time? The weather is not that fascinating. Yeah, I've got something to say. I, I understand you're 36 and all that other stuff, but you you do understand that you got more work to do because every every day there's a new up-and-coming 19 or 21 or 22-year-old. Yeah. But you do understand at the end of the day. Where that? Right. Okay. Well, what I need you to do, this is this is because the dean loved the kids, but I ain't the Paul, but I got you covered. What I want you to do is I want you to put, can you put your hand up? 
you put your hand on your heart for a second? Because I got something I need you to say every morning that you wake up. And when you start saying this, things are going to happen good for you. Are you ready? Are you ready? Can you put your hand on your heart? Yes. Okay, now this is what you say. In my hand as well. You just memorize this. Go back and write this down. I pledge allegiance to my man, for he is my leader and my king. Without him, I have no value or worth, so I must separate myself from all the countless women that are aiming at his feet. I must cook, I must clean, and I must have sex with him at his beck and call. That is my duty, that is my honor, and that is my privilege. Because I'm going after his last name, his ring, and his time, I must learn to be more ladylike and submit to his every whim. Now, if you can do that every day, guess what? You'll then learn the four S's that I always teach women. Submit, serve, shut the fuck up, and sex. As long as you can do uh, I do not endorse the previous message, but go ahead. He doesn't, no, I'm on the other side of the spectrum. You know right. I, agree. I agree with a lot of that. I'm down with gender roles, and yes, I, I really appreciate go. that. Exactly. I know you're trying to help me. But, but ma'am, you want to know why you need to listen to me? I've been married for over 20 years with no problems, no arguments. So... If you want to listen to someone who's successful in this game, not say Steph, Steph's successful. I am too. I've been in this thing for 20 years. No fights, no problems, no arguments. You want to know why? Because as ladies, and this is something that Anthony's doing later on, he's trying to show you women how to have value in a man's eye. you got to remember, it's never about you. It's all about him. So what are you going to do to please that man so he can choose you those are the questions you got to ask Solomon. yeah uh, very well said steve i endorse every word of that ddj what do you got on that uh you know the, i wasn't going to say anything on this but i think that there, that something is that something important needs to be said and that is this there's a question you got to ask yourself and there's a question you got to ask this guy that you're going to be going on this date with and you should be asking i mean all women and all men should be asking this question and that is what do they and what do I bring to the table? You know, other than other than cheap sex and some wine and a dinner, what what sort of investment? What why should somebody invest in you? Why should you invest in them? Those are important questions to ask because if you're looking for a husband, if you're looking for a long-term relationship, a lifelong commitment and a bond, then you're going to be looking for different things than, you know, somebody who goes out and casually dates. So I think that those things are important as well. So, you know, what do you bring to the table? Ask yourself that. You don't necessarily need to answer here, but, you know, think about what do you bring to the table? What does he bring to the table? Is that what you're looking for? And I'm not saying make a checklist because obviously relationships evolve over time and things change, but these are things you need to be keeping in your mind because the other side of this is too, is marriage isn't just a personal relationship. It's a professional and a financial relationship as well because you are combining resources. So, you know, if you're not an asset to him because your credit score is horrible and you don't pay your bills or, you know, you're on welfare, for example, not saying that you are or you're not, you have less value to a man than a woman who, you know, is self-sufficient. So just keep that in mind and, and I'll, I'll leave it there. Okay. Um, I'll be the last to go on this because we do have other callers. Um, I've just got just a few uh, bullet points. Uh, number one caller, don't fuck him on the first date. If you do that, you're finished. <laughs> of course right? not. Yeah. Hold on. Listen, and I'm going to yeah. tell you so that this is no, real. I was not planning on it. <laughs> well, you got, sweetheart, I've had a lot of girls tell me that they weren't planning on fucking me on the first date and I end up fucking him on the first date. Famous last words. Exactly. 
And so, and, and I'm being real here because if, if, if you fuck a guy on a first date and he still commits to you, caller, that's not going to be the kind of man you're going to end up wanting to be with. You follow me? If you don't fuck him on the first date, yeah. but he sticks around, right? That means he might actually like you, right? So don't fuck him on the first date, number one. Number two, do not tell him about your sexual past. Now, if he's the kind of man that you want to be with, he's not going to ask you about your sexual past, right? Not that he's not concerned about it, but he understands that you do have a sexual past. Like, dear, you're 36, like we understand. Never, ever, ever, ever tell him how many men you have slept with. Don't give him any implications because when you do, if you do, no matter what number you give him, he's not going to believe you. His imagination is going to run wild and he's going to exit. This is how this works. The third thing that I'm going to advise you to do is be transparent, okay? Don't hide things from him. Don't be texting people on your phone and turning your phone. Don't give him the, well, my phone is my business. Listen, if you're looking for a husband, sweetheart, he has the right to know who you're texting. He has the right to know where you are, what you're doing, who you're doing it with. And if these, if you're not willing to be that transparent, that's that doesn't make you a bad person. This just means that you're not ready to be in a relationship of consequence with a man that you respect and love. And my final piece of advice is you got to offer him more than sex because you have to understand that men in demand, we can get sex anywhere, right? As you know, as, as now you're 36 years old, so you're probably a little bit more intelligent than the average woman. You need to offer more than just, you know, two or three holes. That would be my advice to you. Uh, advice number five, do not fuck him on the first date. Yeah, three it's months, for- three months, man, at least. Okay, that was interesting. Uh, Stefan's face turn. This is like Donovan's going through his advice. You can see, you can see the processing and the emotions. Like, Serve, suck, yeah, this, sex, uh, uh, shut up, something like that. If yeah, I remember rightly. Not in that order. Hey, that's, in the Bible. that's in the Bible. They say, I mean, submit, serve, and sex. But to be quiet is, is just know your place at the table. Straight up. Yeah. Straight up. I think, Stefan, I think we're all on the same, I think we're all on the same page in terms of where we want to be. It's just that Steve and I, we take a little bit of a different route. And before we get to area code uh, 200, which I'm not really sure where that came from, um, I don't endorse negotiating in relationships. Um, it's either my way or it's the, well, you're going to end up alone, then I guess I'll be alone. You can't make a woman do anything you don't want her, she doesn't want to do. So what you do, you cannot control her actions, but you can control your actions. So when your woman gets out of pocket, simply withdraw your behavior. If she likes you enough, she will stop said behavior. Women are a lot of things. Stupid is not one of them. If she does something and sees a reaction and she doesn't want that reaction, then she will stop doing said action. Uh, Erico 200, you are on live with the Redman Group. Go ahead. Well, hello. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Oh, fine. Um, yeah, the reason the Erico was 200, because I'm like, um, I'm, I live in Sweden, so I was calling from the internet. Okay. Uh, but like, yeah, I want to have a question for Stefan Molyneux. Uh, by the way, I'm like a big fan. I've been listening to you for a while. I think you're like one of the few people who like, uh, very, it's like very, um, uh, like you're always very rigid in your logic, and I really appreciate that. I just have like a question. So, like, how do you how do you stand on like the black IQ uh, issue? Like, where do you stand there? On the what issue? The black IQ. Well, I mean, I, I stand with I science. I mean, you you can you can look at my interviews. I don't really see how this is a topic for this show, but you know, don't ask me where I stand. Just look up the science. Well, no, yeah, no, I mean, come on. It's like a disputed topic, right? I'm just curious. Look, he's trying to cause a wedge. Look, he's trying to cause problems. <laughs> if you're curious, Walter, he told you where you can go with... Uh, listen, I gave him a chance to 
Get out. Well, Stefan yeah, said. I, you know, if you're from Sweden, I would say perhaps look more into immigration from the Middle East uh, rather than what may be going on in the data sets uh, in American universities. So anyway, <laughs> let's move on to another caller. Excellent. Yeah, maybe the no-go zones in your own country. Uh, yeah, yeah. By the way, you got a comment here from uh, Coach Alpha Elite says he's digging your sunset in the Golden City docket series. So that uh... all right, area code seven one three. You are on live with the Red Man Group. You go ahead. Hey, what's going on, guys? What's this up, brother? Is, uh, Ray, but I was a little from Houston. Hey, I was. I had a question um, uh, to uh, I guess Stefan uh, earlier. Uh, he mentioned something about. Um, I guess with the discipline of your children or, you know, something like that, uh, basically having a softer approach. Could you expand on that? Well, um, you want your children to internalize values and standards and using force or aggression or violence to do that simply lends them to want to subjugate themselves to a coercive agency. My end goal, my end game, so to speak, in the long run is a society without a state without a government, without a centralized coercive monopoly on the use of force. I view a state as anachronistic as, as slavery and something we have to outgrow at some point. Now, if you discipline your children with threats and violence and force, you're just training them to subjugate themselves to coercion. And that means when they grow up, they're going to find it very, very hard to push back against encroachments of state power. It's, you know, it's both tactical and strategic in the long run. And I cannot get around the non-aggression principle. And the non-aggression principle is you're not allowed to initiate the use of force. So if you hit your children, I mean, it's not, it's not self-defense, right? At least I hope not. And so you're initiating the use of force and uh, children are the ones who most need to be covered by moral standards, not the least. So the fact that we lower our standards when it comes to the use of force with children is to me foundational as to why society is, is a mess. So you think the reason why society is a mess is because people spank their kids? Well, it's the use of force against helpless, vulnerable, no-choice children. I mean, you're not allowed to hit adults. You're not allowed to hit police officers. You're not allowed to hit your wife or your husband. Why on earth would you be allowed to hit your children? They should be the ones most protected by moral standards in society. I think there's a difference between hitting your kids and physically reprimanding. We've all heard the phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child. Yeah, but the rod does not mean a stick. The rod means instruction. It means wisdom. The rod here is like a shepherd with the rod with his sheep. He doesn't beat his sheep with the rod. He just uses it to to guide them. I'm going to interject. So for those of you unfamiliar with Stefan's philosophy, I believe nonviolent parenting is a cornerstone of this, right? Yes. And one of the ways it looks, and you mentioned government and things like that, not having a state. I think one of the the things you mean by uh, the initiation of force is like, you know, taxation under threat of violence. If I don't have income taxes, I will eventually be shot. I'll be arrested at gunpoint. And if you resist, you'll be shot. A lot of people don't want to think about that, that that's an advance for a complex form of slavery today. But I, I agree with you, and I believe it is. I think, you know, I actually support government. I'm an objectivist. I'd like to actually ask you about that. But an extremely limited form of it where, for example, taxation is not collected under threat of being killed, which I think is absurd and insane. Um, so for those of you not familiar with this philosophy, I think that, you know, this is a cornerstone of what you believe. And I think a lot of the guys watching the show are not familiar with that 100%. If, if you, you know, it's like this. So if you think that the Earth is the center of the solar system, then calculating the retrograde motion of Mars becomes really, really complicated. If you just put the sun at the center of the solar system, everything falls into place. Like Einstein's theory of relativity, if you make the speed of light constant, the universe just kind of falls into place and, and makes sense. And so if you just put the non-aggression principle at the center of everything and have it inform your perspectives on every issue, 
the world makes sense. The world falls into place. And one principle, you know, it's like the one ring, except I guess for virtue, right? One principle can rule everything that, that makes society comprehensible. So, I mean, as far as a small government, well, you know, they never stay small. I mean, the whole, yeah. the whole purpose behind the American Constitution, the American Bill of Rights, Declaration of Independence, was they aimed to create the very smallest government in the history of the world. And it has now turned into the very largest government in the history yeah. of the world. So I don't really think that uh, you can control the cancer of the state. But again, I know this is a big deviation from our central topic. So if we want to get back to the call, that's fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, one last comment, and then we'll uh, hit Rico 201. Uh, uh, Donovan, I, well, uh, I come from, a, uh, again, I'm on the other side of the spectrum. I believe that, uh, again, I discipline my kids when they need discipline. They got scholarships. They're straight A students. I have no problems and I have no issues with them. The problem and issue that I see is that we are we, we become in this timeout, let's coddle, let's sit Jimmy down and let's try to talk him out of uh, why he shouldn't do this and do that. And it's not to me, it's not the discipline, the beating or the spanking. That's the problem. It's a lot of these boys that because of the coddling, they're getting a false sense of reality of what the world is like. They're under the impression that everybody out there is going to be nice to you. Everybody out there is going to put you in timeout and everybody out there is going to sit there and explain to you why you did something wrong and you can't do that. That's not right. And then when they get out there and see the real world for what it is, they cannot handle the truth versus what mom and dad did not teach them to do. Now, I'm not saying beat your kids to a pulp where yeah, uh, different there, I think. Right. I'm saying a spanking. There's nothing wrong with spanking your child in the bottom as far. But again, I come from a, I, again, that's what we did in the black community. I can't speak for. I can't speak for Teflon because he's totally different community than mine, different tribe. Serious with that, man. If I can interject, when I found Stefan's YouTube channel probably uh, nine, ten years ago, I was very skeptical of this nonviolent parenting philosophy. Over the years, I've adopted it. Uh, I'm not a parent yet, as far as I know, right? I'm not a father. But I've, <laughs> got, I've, uh, got some kids of my own out there somewhere. Yeah. Stop kidding me. But, but I've but I have adopted, and I've come to understand uh, more of why he believes this, and I think he's onto something real. I think no. that's why it's a cornerstone of what he believes. No, and I respect that. No, I, I I totally respect and get where he's coming from, and I think that's great. I'm just saying from a black man's perspective, from where I came, from my community, from where I came from, how we did things. But I don't think – but see, when we think about blacks and violence, the blacks and violence don't come from the, the beatings and the spankings. The violence comes from the single moms indoctrinating emotions in these men. I don't think it's the discipline. Uh, the discipline is to keep order with that child, to let them know that – if you do something wrong, this could have happened. But when they go out there, they'll have more of a sense of what the world is really like. Because if you think the world is sunshine and rainbows, this is where you get a lot of confused men because they don't they think everything they think because the household I've been putting time out. Then that guy or that guy out there in that Serengeti is going to do the same thing. And I'm just saying for, for I'm just speaking from the my side of the, the spectrum that. Uh, I I don't believe in beating a kid, but I totally believe in discipline because they need to realize the world is a different animal and it should be shown from the household first and then have those kids better prepared when they go out. That's but, all. But, but here's the thing, right? So philosophy doesn't stop at skin color. I mean, there's a universal principles. And of course, in the black community, 
there is a lot of hitting of children. And of course, as you know, violence within the black community in America is, is quite high. I would I argue that these two things may in fact be correlated. Wait, I think it's disingenuous to call spanking hitting because when people say, you know, I'm against violent parent and I'm not even a parent, so I don't even know why I'm in, involved in this, but I think it's just, dis- yeah, I know, right? I think it's, I, to me, I think it's disingenuous for people to say that if you spank your kids that you are violent. And here's something else. Not violence. Right. Here, well, hold on. Here's something else is that not all children are created equal, right? I know we want to think that all people, oh, no, no. Some, some, there are some children, some people respond, you know, better to some forms of punishment. Other children, you can, they can respond to, to, to other forms of punishment. But to call spanking your children, you know, beating or violence, I think it's disingenuous. And I, and to be honest with you, and I'm not saying that this is, this is the case with Stefan, but I think that the reason why a lot of parents don't spank their kids is because they're afraid to. And keep it real. No, kids. no, no. Come on. It, it, we, we have to. The beginning of wisdom is to call things by their proper names. It is a violent action because if you try it against an adult, you'll end up in jail. Yes, but there's a difference between a child and an adult. Right. Donovan. Uh, right. Know. And, and the, the difference is that children should be worthy of greater moral considerations than an adult. I believe that you should be more hesitant to hit a child than hit an adult because a child and is, is, is uh, impressionable. They're vulnerable. They have no choice. They have no uh, say in the matter. Donovan, I know for a fact that Stefan has done a lot of work on his channel about this issue, way more than we could get into in the show, like video, like probably hundreds of videos on it. So I think we should just kind of leave the, you know, everybody's watching and go to Stefan's channel. It's huge. It's got thousands of videos. Check it out. I just don't like calling it hitting. I think that well, that's, yeah, but let's, let's agree to disagree there's here. There's a reason why you don't like it. Yeah. Let's go on to the next caller and get more back focused on what the show, our show is about. I'm okay. The, uh, the next two callers are area code 201 and 200. Oh boy. Area code 200 is back. Uh, Stefan, that might be your guy calling about the. Uh, <laughs> I think so. It's the same number. Eric, two to one. You are on live with the Red Man Group. Go ahead. Eric, uh, two to yes. one. Well, I would like your. I would like your opinion on uh, MGTOWs versus incels. Like. Oh my God! Right. On. Right. I think I won buzzword bingo on that. Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Erico 200, you're on live with the Red Man Group. Hello, hello, brother. Um, yeah, so I wanted to challenge Stefan Molyneux's position on oh, how to parent your children, right? God, it becomes God. very obvious to me that children increasingly are becoming way more violent, way more undisciplined, and you can see this with, like, STDs increasing, um, degeneracy increasing, and all these bad things in society increasing. And you have a daughter, and I think you should know that when she grows up, you're not going to be able to reason with her, right? Okay, you, for- you, uh, you, you don't want to bring my daughter into this conversation, but I'm happy to talk principles. But you do not want to bring my daughter into this conversation. Listen, I, I, didn't, I didn't hang up on him. I muted him. because Okay, he- no, that's, that's, he, he can keep going with the abstracts, but, you know, just leave my daughter out of it. But go ahead. I understand. I just want to make sure this guy doesn't fill the bus. Because yeah, we that's got a fine. Lot people- I don't mind the question. It's fine. Okay, all right. I just don't like it when people just talk through people. That, that, <laughs> right. that's my, yeah. Okay, go ahead, caller. I thought yeah, you would still I'm be sorry. talking. I'm sorry, brother. I didn't mean to bring up your dog. I just thought it was relevant, right? I apologize. No, that's that. fine. That's fine. Just go ahead with the question. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. So I, I'm just saying, like, it, it don't make sense to me how you would raise a children without, uh, without disciplining them, right? I, I know you call it violence, but I don't agree with that, man. I, I think I agree. <laughs> Wait, was that you cutting him off? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just give my, my, my little bit on this, right? So 
No, we can't vid game one. Vid game one says, do we not vet the callers beforehand? No, this is this is. <laughs> Listen, it's a fine question. It's a great question. It's an important question, and I'm glad that that he raised it. So, what is what is going wrong with with kids at the moment? Well, um, I, you know, saying well, it's a lack a- of spanking. No, there's there's still the majority of parents, the vast majority of parents, still spank their children. So, so saying that somehow it's an absence of spanking, look at all the other variants or, or, or variables that have changed over the past, say, 50 years, right? Okay, so you have uh, diversity and multiculturalism, which destroys neighborhood trust and kids play inside all the time because parents are nervous to have them roam the neighborhoods. That's well documented. You can look up the Putnam studies for all of that. You have the rise of the daycare generation, kids being dumped into daycare, which is very harmful to their development. You have women going out to work, which means that there are fewer parental resources available to negotiate with and deal with children and model better behavior. You have massive rises in taxes, which is really, really harming the middle class and kids are dropping out of the middle class. You have falling qualities of education, partly as the result of diversity and problems with languages and illegal immigration and you name it. And the fact that so much of education dollars goes to this ridiculous bloated overhead rather than actually teaching children. You have a rise in divorce, which is catastrophic for children and their well-being. You have the virtual evisceration or emasculation of primary school teachers, so the vast majority of them are women. And women are not great at teaching little boys. You know, it's funny because the feminists say, well, a girl can never imagine being a scientist unless she sees 4,000 examples of female scientists, but somehow women can raise boys no problem. So, you can look at just a wide variety of things. Look at the self-hatred that is poured into American and Western communities by the leftists who say, oh, it's patriarchy, it's a racist society, men are terrible, it's toxic patriarchy, it's toxic masculinity. Look at all the kids who are getting drugged in schools, particularly little boys, because they don't enjoy just sitting there and staring at their pencils. The amount of pressures being put on children, the amount of dysfunction that is layered upon children to say, well, it all just comes down to spanking is missing all of the other variables and focusing on entirely the wrong things. I totally agree. And let me ask you something, because this I had never thought about this until now. You say and actually women primarily raise our boys. They raise them primarily in the home, single mothers, mom being the dominant figure in the household instead of men. Do you think and again, this is me just kind of kind of spitball in here do you think that spanking do you think that spanking was sort of invented because female parents didn't really know how to discipline because again if there's a kid who was raised by a single father my guess is that the father doesn't have to spank his kids because the kids you know the, the kids to me probably respect the father enough to know okay i better not cross this guy right yeah, every, everybody knows that the woman hits and the father glares right i mean in general on average and women do hit children more than men. Men have a kind of authority, whether it's the deep voice, whether it's the size, whether it's the assertiveness, whether it's the testosterone, I don't know. But when you take male authority out of the household, child abuse tends to increase. I mean, the the data is absolutely staggering. But the children of single mothers are over 30 times more likely to be abused. And uh, it's, it's absolutely wretched. Single motherhood is an absolute disaster for society as a whole. A lot of your fans uh, don't really seem to like me. <laughs> Wait, who said that? <laughs> you, you stepped on a landmine. Hey, they can, all go, they can all go fuck themselves. I've seen very few. Uh, well, it sounds like you're negotiating well. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, a few topics as triggering as uh, discussing, like, you know, abortion. Abortion. It is the violence that we have experienced if we have experienced violence. It's 
I mean, I, I don't go out there and have people hit me in the street. I, I know some people would like to, but it doesn't. But so the violence that we have all experienced tends to be being hit within the home as children. So, of course, as the, the violence that we've experienced most, when the topic comes up, people get quite uh, energetic about it. It's natural. And this is and again, like like I got no problem with you. Like I, I've met you. You're 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 I mean, as far as I know, you're 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 a nice guy. I'm looking forward to meeting you down there at 21 and taking pictures of all that. We'll just agree to disagree. Erico 200 again. It looks like Erico 200. It, we are lighting up Sweden, baby. I don't understand what's happening well, here. Go ahead. Me. I, I, I've been trying to have to something for man. The learning curve remains right. somewhat flat. <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea what this guy is trying. Anyway, Erico 513. <laughs> You're on live with the red man. <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Eric. I'm 17 in Ohio. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, I, I really appreciate all the content you guys have been producing. You know, Donovan, and uh, I just found out about Stefan, so I'm going to go check out his content. But my question is, you know, being 17, uh, being fairly new to all this content and all this all this uh, information. I was really confused when you went to marriage, you're the one asking, you know, traditionally that's how it is. And how do you still maintain the leverage and continue that into a, you know, a healthy marriage? Without well, you, choo you choose an honorable woman who's going to keep her word, just as she expects you to keep your word. And if you have an honorable woman, you know, there, there, I've been in business for, I've been an entrepreneur for, I don't know, a quarter century. There are people that you have handshake deals with because you trust them. There are people who ask me to do stuff like Mike Cernovich asked me to be in his hoaxed movie, which you should all check out at hoaxedmovie.com. Yeah, I, I just flew out and did it. We didn't need a contract. We didn't need anybody. So there's some people that you just trust because they're honorable people. And so if you choose an honorable woman, she is going to keep her word because she values her honor. She values her integrity. She values her virtue. And just as you will keep your word. So it's not about leverage. Because if, if you feel like you have to have leverage over someone to have them do the right thing, it's probably the wrong relationship. Let me ask you this, Stefan, because I think this is there's there's a good follow-up question here. I agree with you 100%. You pick an honorable woman, and we were actually starting to get into this off the air. So what are some of the – now we start to get into the solutions, right? Okay, Stefan, there, there are hardly any honorable women here. We know that. I endorse that 100%. So what are the vetting procedures that you need to put a woman through to make sure she's an honorable woman? Gauge her level of self-knowledge, gauge her capacity to talk about things other than herself, uh, gauge her history of being charitable and kind and generous to those around her, gauge her level of responsibility when it comes to money, gauge her capacity to plan ahead and follow through and see things through. Like if she's got a half-completed basket-weaving degree and $30,000 in debt, this is not a woman who's very good at planning and you're going to end up having to pick up a lot of the pieces. Look at her capacity to just basically do something helpful. I'll give you a tiny story because these things are really, really important when I look back upon them, right? So I'd gone on a couple of dates with the woman who was going to become my wife and she said, can you hang out this, uh, later today? And I said, oh, you know, I got to head downtown because I got some shoes repaired because I'm cheap. I got some shoes repaired and uh, I got to go downtown and pick them up so I won't be available. And she's like, oh, you know, I'm downtown this afternoon. I'll just, you know, I can pick them up for you. And I literally like, because I'm so used to this balky, uh, you know, any, any favor for a man is surrendering your vagina to the patriarchy or something. So the very fact that she was just willing to pick up a pair of shoes for me because she was in the neighborhood and, and bring them over, it's like, whoa, I've never seen this. You are a unicorn. You are a miracle. Do you walk on water as well? 
just little things like that. Is she, is she productive? Is she helpful? Is she, is, she, is she useful? Is she a good conversationalist? Has she read books, you know, other than, you know, airport novels and so on? Just, just look for signs of quality and signs of integrity and signs of helpfulness and look for that great gift of femininity, which is a lack of resentment towards men. I remember going, when I was learning how to rollerblade, uh, I remember rollerblading down by the, uh, uh, by the lake in Toronto, and I ended up rollerblading next to this woman. You could tell she was a feminist, and you know, but she, we had a nice chat. We were just talking about the beautiful day, and we were talking about how cool Toronto can be and all that kind of stuff. And I remember her looking over at me like, that's weird. I mean, aren't you about to attack me or something like that? I mean, we're, we're in an isolated position. I mean, but I remember her just continually glancing at me, enjoying the conversation and being really surprised by the fact that she was enjoying the conversation. Yeah, that's not someone you want to try and deprogram. So those are a couple of tips that I would have. Okay. Yeah, I can comment on that too, that when I went to Poland for my first time earlier this year, I spent 10 days there back in March to like scout out hotels and stuff for the conference we had. And I was impressed and amazed with the the vibe and the positivity I felt from women there. Look for uh, a Christian I, woman or a woman who was raised Christian. That's a, that's a pretty good sign. Wait, there, but, but specifically, though, the, the lack of resentment and tension towards men is visceral. My bad. Not good. Yeah, so I just, it just came to mind when he was talking about that. Um, I had a question to follow up, too, for Stefan. Uh, so, Stefan, so spanking or no spanking, can you talk to us about the relationship, uh, independent of it, however it goes, can you talk to us about the relationship of childhood trauma of any type as it relates to men and women, you know, entering their 20s and 30s and seeking out relationships and the opposite sex? Like, how does that play into uh, personality development and what we seek out in life? In I know it's 45 question. seconds or less. All right. 45 seconds. So listen, seconds. the people, people who've been abused as a child end up as devils or gods. There's almost nothing in between. And childhood abuse gives you an incredible opportunity to become not just a normal person, but a vastly better person than average. But it also has the capacity to turn you into a monstrous manipulator and destroyer of lives. So, uh, I, you know, if somebody has been abused as a child, that to me does not write them off as a potential dating partner or friend or anything like that. But it means I have to be really alert to the fork in the road that they've taken. Have they taken the high road or have they taken the low road? It is an absolute fact, to me at least, that I would be nowhere near as good a father as I am if I had not had as bad a mother as I did. Because she taught me everything about what not to do. And that is actually a painful but very, very important lesson. So, yeah, childhood trauma can lead you to depths of self-knowledge and self-control and self-awareness that it's scarcely possible to achieve if you've not been abused. Like just somebody who's had to dress their own wounds in a battlefield knows a whole lot more about the human body than somebody who's never had to do that kind of stuff. So you have a great potential for uh, intimacy and security and connection with people if they've done the work, if they've learned the effects of the abuse upon them, if they've uh, extracted the right ethics out of having been harmed as children, and they've made that commitment to never, ever, repeat the abuse that they have suffered and hopefully to proselytize to a hungry world how to feed itself with virtue. So uh, it has a very strong development and it can go for very good or for very ill, but there's usually not much in between. And by abuse, you mean both, uh, it could be active, it could be verbal abuse, it could be physical abuse, but it could also be passive and like neglecting things too, right? The the neglect is often the worse, sadly. Because if you get hit... Uh, first of all, someone's paying attention to you, which is why. And kids, kids would rather be valuable to their parents as punching bags than not valuable to them at all, because that's just nature wanting to provide value from parent to child, from child to parent. But neglect is really, really tough, 
because it leaves a bruise that's so wide, it's like the color of your whole body, so to speak, and it's really hard to differentiate. If you get yelled at, screamed at, hit, uh, and so on, that's one thing. But if you're just ignored, uh, it's really, really tough. And I, you know, I have really the greatest sympathy for kids uh, who are the victims of neglect outside of, of course, rank sexual abuse and so on. Yeah, and I bring this up because it's been my theory of the past maybe year, year and a half that most men who find the manosphere find it. They come from dysfunctional homes of some type. Obviously, like they lacked a father, you know, literally or figuratively. He was neglectful, ignored. He was the pushover guy in the spine. Whatever the case may be, a lot of guys find the manosphere because of, in my opinion, because of that kind of childhood trauma of some sort. And then a lot of times, too, they end up in toxic relationships with borderlines, you know, the women with personality disorders. PD. PPD, lots of things like that. So it, it kind of came to mind hearing you talk about uh, parenting and childhood and these things. And I really well, think the whole uh, you know, especially if, if you're the kid of divorce and you have some vengeful, yeah. bloody-toothed Valkyrie of a mom constantly do- bullying and dominating your father using the court system and so on, it's really hard to grow up with a sense of masculine strength and respect when you just see the cops constantly showing up at your dad's place. Yeah. And why would you trust women or ever want to form you know, a relationship? I never saw an example of it. And I think the manosphere is filled with dudes like that. It's something I've come, even whether it's the pick artist community, the MGTOWs, the Repo community, even the men's rights activists, I think a lot of this uh, comes out of that. So thanks for your comments on that. Great yeah, temptation me, uh, can lead to great virtue. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, let me push back a little bit on the religion thing. You said that uh, men should look for a woman in the church. And I would agree with you probably maybe 65 to 70 years ago. But <laughs> And I'm not an overly religious person now. Um, but the church is in the shit. And I think, I think it's fairly obvious. And this is all, to me, this is all denominations. Mm. The church, even the Catholic church has been, has become highly feminized. It, they, they, they pander to women. And in my experience and the experience of a lot of people I talk to, the worst kind of women go to church. So what do you say to the argument that, okay, you may say you want a good Christian woman, but oftentimes these are the worst women out there because of the way Christianity has been sort of bastardized and mutated? You mean I, like, well, I, yeah, I mean, I'll just have to defer to youth on this one because um, when I grew up as a, as a Christian, as a devout Christian, my, the, the women who were around who went to church were some of the greatest women that I've ever known, like my, my uh, aunts in particular. I think I have like four aunts. And uh, they, they were really wonderful and, and powerful and, and generous women, and they were all taking me to church all the time. So, yes, uh, maybe things have changed quite a bit. I will defer to your uh, experience yeah, in this realm. Yeah, they absolutely have. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and, and it sucks, man, because a lot of guys still believe, hey, you know what? This is like I'm having, I'm having a hard time dating women. Let me go to the church to see if I can find a God-fearing woman. And they come across the same types of women. They say the, they play the same games. They play them even better because they're around other women that endorse this kind of behavior. And then the preacher sleeping with women and all this other kind of stuff. I just think you have to be very careful when you advise men. I just think you have to be very careful when you advise men to look for a woman who is religiously devout. Because I will say, I will say this to you, Stefan. Women aren't really religious. Women follow only what the strongest men follow. Women don't follow God because they just decided to. Women follow God because men follow God. Women join cults because men are the men are the cult leaders. Women only follow what the strongest men follow. So if the strongest men are following something that is feminizing them, this explains in large part why so many females are using women in the church. Yeah, I, I don't agree that so many women are followers, but I certainly appreciate the correction regarding the church. And I'll, I'll look more into it. You could, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're right, but I, um, I will look more into it. What comes to mind on that is DDJ's book, uh, The Feminist Lie, is that you see feminism allying with like radical Islam and stuff. 
And that's a really bizarre combination at face value, but behind the scenes, fundamentally, I think it well, makes not, sense. Well, not if you understand that the feminism does not have the goal of liberating women, but destroying the no, West, totally. then oh, of course it's going to ally right. itself with uh, exactly. more radical ideologies. I think, I, I, I think I that you add what church matters too, because being in the U.S., there was a remarkable difference between what I experienced here compared to Poland. Yeah. And going from church to church to church, you're seeing Catholics, church in this case, but terribly, terribly devout individuals. And so I think there's a remarkable difference to what's being a proselytized in an individual church compared to one culture to another. And I think there's a superficiality with American religion. Yeah, the Catholic Church in Poland is way more serious than it is in America now. I think a long time ago in America, it was like that. So I have one thing to add when you guys are done. Yeah, go ahead, DDJ. What you got? So, so here's the thing. Um, so, Stefan, when you're looking at church in, in Western culture, look for complementarianism. Um, that's that's been one of the ways that a lot of feminists have practiced entryism into the church, and when I'm it sorry, comes, I don't know what to, uh, complementarianism means. It's basically it's this idea that women and men should be equal in the church, and it's been promoting like a lot of feminist pastors and things like that. And so you see these pastors teaching things like abortion is good, and it's taught in the Bible and that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of a lot of what a lot of traditional Christians would consider heresy. Now the the other thing I would say too, and this is directed to Donovan. Um, Donovan, I agree with you when it comes to a lot of the women and a lot of the churches in the modern times, but I would also like to let you know, too, that there are a lot of traditionalist Christians who are pushing back against that sort of attitude. And so I know like the Catholic Church is in turmoil right now, but part of it is not just because of all the stuff that's come out, but it's also because there are a lot of fundamentalist Catholics out there who are actually pushing back against what they see as heresies happening in the church and happening across Christianity. We see this in some of the other denominations as well. I just kind of wanted to put that out there because I follow Dalrock, which is a blogger who talks extensively about this. He's extremely knowledgeable. And so, you know, but, but there is, there is a voice now that is pushing back against a lot of the stuff that a lot of traditional Christians see as heresy. Um, I'll end it with this. I'll actually say this um, in, in my estimation, feminism to me, it has two main goals. I think is I think the first goal is the transference of resources from men to women. And the second goal is to remove the sexual strengths from women from upon women while shackling men with sexual restraints. So I guess the last question goes to you, Stefan. Is the tide turning? Is there because you seem to have a very um, and this is good. We got to have guys that, that have a positive outlook. Guys like me, I skew towards the negative end. Just because that's just the kind of guy I am. I'm a glass half empty guy. I'm not ashamed or afraid to say it. It is what it is. And so, of course, I'm, you know, hey, it's all going to shit. Enjoy the decline. But I'm not really partial in that regard. So in your opinion, is the tide starting to turn? And if not, what's it going to take to get things back to the way they were? Is the tide turning? Gentlemen, yes. we are the tide. What do you, we, 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 we be things like bubbles or, or leaves floating on the water? We are the tide. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, there's no, no tide right. other right. than what we will. There's no general social movement other than what we will. Society is a giant inverted pyramid that rests on the brains of about 30 people on the planet. So, I mean, be the tide. Don't uh, try and ride anything. Go out and make the future that you want. Is it going to succeed? I don't know. But I'm okay. damn well not going to hold one jewel of energy back from trying to change things. Sure. But why, why, why say that there's some social movement that we have to be? We be the social movement. We be, be the tide, be the storm, be the change. 
yeah. this yep. idea that, that this optimism or pessimism, I mean, that's prejudging an outcome that you damn well control. It's like saying, well, I'm not really optimistic about whether I'm going to work out today. It's like, you know, you're in control of that, right? And look at society that way. Most society is filled by people who just follow the strongest, most eloquent, most energetic, and hopefully most consistent voice that's out there. Be that voice. And you can be the tide, and then you don't have to ride anything because you are the horse. Right. I'm not asking about me riding things. What I'm, what I'm asking, I guess I need to ask it more plainly. Feminism obviously has, has polluted America, right? America is one big feminist cesspool. Is America moving away from feminism? And if it's not moving away from feminism, aside from, I guess, just podcasts and you know, radio shows, what's it going to take? And do you think it's going to happen in our lifetime? Well, there's no way the current, I mean, you guys are mostly younger than me. There's no way the current system is going to survive even my lifespan, let alone okay. yours. No, listen, the, uh, sadly, sadly, how, does, how do human beings learn, right? How do the human beings learn? They either learn through pain or they learn through wisdom, right? And so what is going to cause change? Well, the data is accumulating. Women are more and more and more miserable. And simply pointing this out is, is every single decade that feminism has been around, women have got more and more unhappy. Now, of course, what the mainstream media is trying to do is tuck away all these women so that you can't see them. All of the women, like a quarter of the women in, in uh, England over 40 have no kids, right? And a lot of them are horribly regretful and in great emotional agony. And that emotional agony is going to last for another 40 or 50 years from them. So given okay. how unhappy women are, at the destruction of the family, uh, given how unhappy men are at the destruction of, of the labor ethic, the first thing the media has to do is hide these women away so that they don't act as a giant warning sign to the next generation of women saying, don't do this, don't do this, <laughs> thou shalt not pass. So what I do, of course, on, on Twitter and in my shows is I bring these women's stories to the forefront. And I talk about how miserable women are if they don't settle down and have families. And I talk about how miserable men are if they don't settle down and have families. Because we've all been given this incredible gift of life that is the culmination of four billion years of evolution and an astonishingly improbable series of coincidences. So the idea that it just ends with us and we're not going to pass it forward, we all benefit from having been born. So damn well, go out and pay it forward and give birth to, to others and continue the chain of life. So if we show enough miserable people, if we show enough unhappy people, it's painful for them. I get it. I get all of that. But... You know, it's like the guy who's smoking out of the hole in his throat going around to school saying, don't smoke, kids. It's kind of important to see the end results. Because I don't know how many people are going to learn through wisdom. I know that my listeners tend to, but, you know, they're not everyone in the world. But if we continue to highlight just how miserable women are, how miserable men are in the current system, at least a recoil from unhappiness and the pursuit of hedonism through wisdom, that at least I think can dislodge. And I think there is a lot of dislodging. So I get a lot of pushback when I'm out there on Twitter or out there giving speeches or, or out there on YouTube and I point out these basic facts. But man, does it ever spread like crazy uh, when it gets out there. And a lot of women get really mad at me. A lot of men get really mad at me. And you wouldn't believe the number of emails I get six months later with like, yeah, you know what? I settled down and I'm pregnant. Uh, sorry I was so mad. And this is what keeps me going. Everyone's like, how do you keep going with all these wine aunts kvetching at you from dawn till dusk? And it's like, because, you know, I know in six months they'll be a lot happier and they'll, they'll thank me. If I can add on to this, yeah, Donovan, um, based on your original question, Donovan, with regards to positivity, negativity, glass half empty, half full, I'm looking at a 13-star uh, American flag right now in my home model studio here, 
And I look at the battle that they fought in founding this country as a much more difficult battle than we face in defeating feminism and building a better, more masculine future, a more positive future for the United States and for the West. And I think that's what we're all doing uh, in a way, whether or not you personally are on board with that to that you know, positivity extent. I think that's what's happening. When you educate, when you encourage men to take command of their lives, take ownership and to embrace reason, Absolutely. that's what happens. You make a better life for yourself. And then later on, you know, I mean, Donovan, you're like 40 now, I think, right? Me too. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, your thoughts have, I don't know, but I'm 31 tomorrow. And my thoughts at, you know, 30, 31 are a lot different than they were at 21. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So things change over time. But more importantly, I think the battle that we're facing in philosophy and in culture and with all these, you know, families and all these things, masculinity and femininity, our battle's tough. It sucks. Feminism is a multi-trillion dollar empire that controls most of the West. But this is a battle we can win. And I think that's why we're still speaking and talking, having conferences and meeting, engaging. And, you know, women are getting pregnant. People are building families. Men are leading families. Men are turning things around in a, in a marriage that's about to fail. We read about that all the time on like Married Red Pill, for example, that little community, that little sub community of the Red Pill community. So, yeah, there's a lot of positivity and there's a lot of reason. But it's a thing you have to do on your own, too. Like I think Stefan has a fundamentally different position on it than you do. And that's a series of choices and convictions he's made that, you know, over the course of his life. And that's, I think, where I'm heading in my life, but uh, that is what it is. So, yeah. Listen, I mean, I wish I could be, um, who knows? Maybe when I'm 52, maybe I'll be as optimistic. Um, no, nah, just have a kid. Uh, yeah. Nah, have a, have a kid I'm, I'm and, and, and you're last to the mask, man. You have a kid and, and you got to fight. These Instagram. <laughs> that's very true. It's all theory till you have offspring. Sorry. And get an American woman pregnant. Listen, guys, this was a hell of a show, man. Um, I like And what I love, dude, what I love about these shows now is that we're not a circle jerk. We're not just some echo chamber where everybody just. No, no, sorry. There's a reason I'm zoomed in, but, but okay, go ahead. Oh, my bad. (laughs) 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 Anybody want to buy a keyboard? Only slightly used. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But I like. Here's how you know I've been on the show too long. Anyway, go ahead. George Bruno said it best, man. He said, this is iron sharpening iron. We're all going to, I like the fact that we can all just disagree and we can just all get in and, and, and rumble. And the fact that we're men, see when women do this, they don't like each other anymore, but men, we can disagree and we can have discord and we can have discourse. And I don't even know if I said that right, but then at the end of the day, we all know that we're on the same side. We all want, we all want the same things. We might take different paths to get there. or We might have different opinions on different things, but guess what? Something caused us all to be right here today on this show at this day and this time. Um, and I think the same can be said about the 21 convention. So um, I think I speak for everyone uh, when I say Stefan is going to be an excellent addition uh, to uh, to Team 21, the 21 condition, uh, condition, uh, convention. Uh, you definitely make guys think. Uh, you definitely make them stretch their cerebral muscles uh, a little bit. I know you've you certainly made me stretch mine. And you, um, you think I'm good in studio, man. You you should see me in the ground. No, you should see me live. Well, good, good. This is it's, it's, it's again. It's good to have disagreements because I don't want guys to come in here and think that they know what they can expect. Right. the The one thing that you can expect is that we endorse traditional masculinity. There might be different avenues to get there, but I think we're all on the same side. Uh, in that bottom line way. So, um, so again, uh, Stefan, thanks for uh, making the time for us today. Um, Anthony, thanks for throwing this thing together. Of course, you guys all know I'm a, I'm on a little bit of a uh, hosting hiatus because I'm dealing with some 
issues out here in uh, in Philly, but um, I, I'm not going to be able to host next week or probably not the week after. Uh, but it was good of Anthony to uh, reach out to me and uh, you know come on and and uh, and host this. Stefan, you are definitely as advertised. Let's do one more uh, round robin here. Um, what you have uh, you know planned for this next week, Steve? Let me start with you. You've got the man mindset. I'm sorry, the Red Bull mindset on Monday evening at eight Eastern. Correct. Yeah, and then uh, uh, the we have a, a it was on your hiatus. Myself and George Bruno are doing the red. Oh, red. thank God! Yeah. Okay, good. George is the man. All right, good, good, good. Yeah. I didn't want you guys replacing me with some knucklehead. No, <laughs> that's Friday nights at uh, eight PM, Steve. Friday nights at eight PM. Yes, Fridays at so so Mondays and Fridays at eight o'clock Eastern. Steve the Dean, right here. Uh, Socrates, um, my red hat. I actually ended up with two copies. I don't know if somebody gave one to me. I may or may not have stolen one. I don't it's know. Amazing. I had twenty five on one spot. It came back and they were gone. <laughs> and, and and I love it. Uh, the, the faster the zig can get on there, uh, the, the better. Very good, very good. Any plans this up, uh, upcoming week? Anything you're going to be working on up to the 21 convention? Or can we just prepping for the 21 convention, uh, doing my red hat, uh, trying to get that out there. Uh, there's a pediatric office that wants to have about, I think, a half dozen. We're going to make sure they get them uh, and, and just kind of promote the general material all overall. Excellent, excellent. Anthony, uh, you're up to your eyeballs in 21 convention. Is there anything? Yeah. Now, again, remember, 999, guys. That's going to be the special for the next, what, 40? five hours and 28 minutes or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. basically sending the strippers to go to uh, Anthony's uh, house. Right? I've, I've, I've had enough for a lifetime. I'm, I'm done, man. <laughs> I accidentally married a hooker family, doesn't know, several years ago. Man, you got oh, me on that. <laughs> it, it was a revealed issue. Yes. Stefan, sometimes go on YouTube and type marrying Medusa and you'll find an interesting speech. You know, at a bachelor party, I think you're supposed to stay a bachelor, but all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the next 60 days, exactly. I'm preparing for our final convention of the decade. It is the 18th edition of the 21 convention. We just had their 17th in Poland uh, about a month ago. And beyond that, I'm preparing for next year's events. I'm preparing tickets for the Patriarch convention next year in the spring, the second edition. Uh, Tanner Guzzi, one of our alumni speakers, will be the keynote of that instead of Hunter Drew this time. Beyond that, we're also preparing for the 22 convention, Make Women Great Again. That'll yep. be going on at the same time in the spring, the same weekend. The events will be combined with different audiences, and women have to go to 22, men go to 21 Patriarch and all that. There's no cross-compatibility between Wait. that. No, no funny business. Well, I mean, we'll see. That'll probably happen no matter what I do. But, <laughs> um, that's just life taking its course. We're preparing also for the 21 convention in Poland next summer again. That'll be in Krakow this time. Uh, not, not in Warsaw, but Krakow, another city. Beautiful city. I spent about a week there after the Poland convention in Warsaw, and it was absolutely amazing. I got to Auschwitz and see the city, uh, meet hotels and all that. And so that's what's going on. Preparing uh, three events for, as well as a fourth event later in 2020. Like right. all that. So I'm up to my eyeballs in it. But I'm looking forward to it. Fuck yeah. I love the challenge. I love becoming the best man that I can be. And the 21 convention is a personal avenue for me to do that and then put it out to the world. Just like Stefan was talking about with, uh, what do you say, becoming a god or a devil, I think, from a very traumatic childhood. And this, this company has been an avenue for me to do that. So I'm very excited to do it and bring together the best men in the world, the best speakers in the world for men uh, this coming October in Florida. Excellent. Um, yeah, I've got, uh, I've got, an, I've got uh, uh, some, some pretty interesting shows coming up. Uh, there was a guy who did something on The Bachelorette, and there was a guy who said that Hannah B. was a boss and this and that and the other. So I'm going to break that guy down. He apparently is a guy who has a YouTube channel that tells women how to get attractive men, and he is leading women astray. He is 
he's almost like the uh, the fox guarding the hen house. So um, so that should be interesting. Uh, other than that, uh, same old, same old. I'm working on my book. I plan to have that out here within the next uh, three weeks to a month. Um, and so that's what I've got going on here. Uh, Stefan, what have you got going on? Are you dropping any additional episodes to your uh, to your documentary series? Yeah, we're putting one out a week in general. So it's usually Friday okay. nights, 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, because, of course, it's about California. And, yeah, people can check out my latest book uh, called Essential Philosophy at EssentialPhilosophy.com or the argument at OrtheArgument.com. At FreeDomainRadio.com, there's a whole bunch of free books if people want to know more about what I talked about. I've pretty much laid it out in, in enjoyable but painstaking detail. And Good. just, of course, uh, for those who want to come see me, uh, 60 days, I'll be at the 21 convention. And I'm not just a guy who bunges in and bunges out. I'll sit, we'll chat. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm not uh, there with security and, and uh, sitting in the green room. So, uh, well, I may be there with security, but I won't just be sitting in the green room. And um, oh, yeah, no? just, just follow me, uh, freedomainradio.com, or you can go to youtube.com forward slash freedomainradio. I try and drop a video a day, so uh, do that. And last but not least, since I'm a donation-based life form, if people want to help me out in what it is that I do, freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Very good. Well said. Uh, that's going to do it for the 79th edition of the Redman Group. Uh, we will see you guys uh, same bat time, same bat channel next week at 11 a.m. eight at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Thanks for watching, guys.